This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. We do what we can on the program to give you the information you need, the tools you need to make it through this crazy thing called life. Welcome to the show. Big day. It's, uh, and then there were zero. Kasich, out. Well, there's two. Well, three. Well, yeah. No, but I guess on the Republican side. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's one. Donald Trump. Unless you're dismissing him. Do you remember? Well, they are. People are still dismissing him. Yeah, I know. I mean, when are people going to get it? He's, that he's going to win? Well, he's he just took out 17, one of the best, what they call them? One of the best group, one of the best. Who's they? They. Because you're talking about all the, the people the, that the are dropped heads. out, and then you said the best. No, like, mm. no they were saying mm. this is the best group of candidates the Republican Party has ever had. That's what they were saying about seven months ago. Best by volume? No, best by credentialed, by experience, by namesake, by... That's what they were saying. Who do you think could have done better against Donald Trump? I don't know. They don't but exist. They, they probably kept their head low because they don't want to be involved. Exactly. No, I, so here's the dilemma. We call him the wrecking ball. I came in like a wrecking ball. A term of endearment. Really? Yeah. That's not a negative term. It started out that way. Well, it's no, it's that's Donald Trump. No, I mean your intention on using that. No, music, it didn't start out negative. It started out he wrecks people. I didn't feel like it was a positive. Oh well, well I, yeah. I, I, apparently yeah, I, I, I missed the tone of the show. But it's he's wrecked seventeen people. Yeah. And, by calling them names, by right. making up stories right. and, and claiming reports, and then you find out it's the National Enquirer. And you're like, what? 17 people, 16 people, gone. 16. A Bush, mm. a Rubio. Who else went? Uh, a Scott, a governor that was everyone was sure would win from Wisconsin. Well, Come on. He's the guy? He was the heir apparent. Scott. He messed up by his... What campaign staff overspending and well I know and yeah. we and Donald Trump survives and everybody still I don't know I don't know he's still double digits behind Hillary Clinton are you kidding me I, it doesn't mean he necessarily deserves it but he's a wrecking ball across the board he has a lot of work to do if he is because he's across the board has hold really on. bad numbers are you every about demog- to quote, hold on are you every, about to quote numbers are you quoting no, numbers every demographic except white men are positive or, or negative for tell me for what Trump. numbers he had at the beginning of this thing none no one gave him any shot of doing this he had no numbers to succeed how is he going to make up with minorities how with would women? he beat 16 other leaders that are all politicians nobody believed he could do it how's he going to make up this rift with the women nobody has any idea okay so how's he going to do it he we, no you can't know it's donald trump that's the point everyone is overlooking the fact that donald trump is in for the gop He's in. He's not even a conservative. How could somebody win the GOP without even being conservative? It makes no sense. This is why this is crazy. This is like 
the story I just saw of a guy in Georgia that's a snake handler that got bit by his king cobra. What are the odds? What are the odds of that? Well, he is a snake handler. <laughs> it makes no sense. How could a snake handler get bit by their own snake? Anyway, I, I want everybody to get real. We have nobody has any clue how to stop him because he's dirty enough. He'll, I mean, he'll do whatever. Call him, say whatever. Get into his history. Get into his ugly books. I don't think numbers matter. Everybody keeps talking numbers, but numbers have never mattered with Donald Trump. He just doesn't matter. He'll just say whatever he's got to say next. It's crazy. Kasich's out. Don't understand it. I thought Kasich was going to go all the way to whatever, to Cleveland. Anyway, happy Cinco de Mayo. Thank you, Ben. (laughs) Cinco de Mayo. It's the date uh, to commemorate what? Do you know what we're commemorating? Anybody? A battle they beat the French. In... 1862, the Battle of Puebla. Under the leadership of General Ignacio Zaragoza Seguin. Seguin? Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Not, this is not Mexico's Independence Day. So don't be, hey, happy Independence Day. But it is the most important national holiday in Mexico. Yes, it is. Which, uh, oh, by no, no. The Mexico's Independence Day is in September on the 16th. It is the most important. Not to just... Way to, way to read that, though. That's amazing. It's also password day. This is the day that you've got to, you know, watch out for your passwords. Make sure that you uh, maybe change them. Just ask Hillary Clinton because she's got a hacker a hacker now that's... Allegedly. An alleged hacker that says There's he, no he got in there. There's no proof well, he that is he actually got in. Well, the, the FBI's arrested him. He's been right. deported to the U.S. and... And now he's, a, he's now he's. It looks like he's tossing out stuff to uh, get a deal. Yeah, that's what you do when the feds come yeah. down and start looking for a deal. Yeah, so he's making up. He got into Sid Blumenthal's mm. password. He guessed Sid's password. What was it? Password. Well, Sid Savage. Okay. No, I don't know. Um, Sid uh, Blumenthal. I mean, all you got to do is find out like maiden names. No, it wasn't the password he got. It was his security questions. Oh. He could answer a security question right. Wife, name of dog. Yeah, name of anniversary, dog. Anniversary. Yeah, which you can just go name. read in his bio or whatever. Right. Um, anyway, happy password day. Also today, we're going to be talking with a, a BYU college student named uh, Zach Knowlton, who is – he's the Moneyball guy. Minus money. It looks like it, yes. So he goes in and he ranks college athletes but using kind of untraditional methods. To, to know, you know, what you got. And he worked with Bronco Mendenhall and BYU. And, and with the way all sports are going, it's all about, ma- many of the front office staff are just like statisticians. They're people that sit there and crunch numbers and then tell the, the decision makers who they should draft, what plays they should run, those types of, th- of things, who they should go out and get and bring into the team to help uh, bolster their offense or right. something. And give them all this statistical rundown. And it's so important across all sports now and that's what I wanted. It was where where is he going next? Yeah, what does he, what does he do? Has yeah. he got a job like a team that wants him? Because wouldn't you want to know? Let's say you're about to draft a guy. Wouldn't you kind of want to know if he's worth drafting or if he has a gas mask with a marijuana bong on it? Right. 
<laughs> My wife thought that was hilarious, by the way. Which cost that guy how much? Jerry? About $13 million. $13 million. In about bucks. an hour. Are you kidding? Yeah. Well, there was also the... Uh, Did the, he get drafted in the first round? Oh, yeah, yeah. He went like 13, 14, so just, but he should have gone three or four. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> but that the video shows up on Twitter and he's... You know, doing drugs, and then there's another video of him and or, or a conversation. It was a text conversation between him and the athletic department on who's going to pay his mom's rent. Yeah, which is illegal. So there was some judgment questions, <laughs> and he just kept slipping. And the the hard part is he was sitting there in the green room, which is kind of a waiting room for the NFL draft. Yeah, and this player, he's from Mississippi, just sitting there as as everyone's like looking at his social media as everything's crumbling around him. And his response was, what are you going to do with this? I'm going to find out who did that. He it's, wanted to, he, he wasn't like apologizing. He didn't say I made mistakes in this. He, he simply just wanted to get even with whoever put that stuff on social right. media for him. And he, he did it for BYU. It was more of a way to find an objective rating of the player because usually it would just go by the coach's eye, right? The yeah, coach our, would just our guest say, coming up, yes. Yeah, that guy's good. That guy's got it. But yeah, this. You give, you get empirical data. This is what they do on the field. This is the success. Here's where you should go. That's Instead cool. of just a coach going, well, that guy looks pretty good. Well, and coaches coaches are different. Yeah. Some coaches embrace this. Others are kind of resistant to it. Yeah. So there's a there's a, a question we can ask him is, if, did, you, did you find anybody that thought you're just, you know, it's all sort of hogwash what you're trying to do with math. We're, we're doing it on the field. That's right. what we're talking. You know what I mean? There's yeah. that, that sort of old school mentality versus people who embrace new technology and if I that's mean, a, a hinderment to what he's trying to do. This whole thing um, of kind of being the objective statistician to build a team was, was made famous by the Moneyball movie. The book. The book and then the movie about the Oakland A's. Yes. So he's got a chance to go make some money if he'll – figure out how to and i told you yesterday or the other day i used some of these techniques playing video game football yeah madden whatever year i and had you didn't even have you hadn't even had statistics no but you have to look and see what the the strengths and weaknesses of each player are and put them in the exact yeah. spot that would help you but at the same yeah. time pay them the least amount of money right. because you right. got to play with right. the salary cap do you know what's more <laughs> yep do you know what's more fun um than playing that way is i used to just build my team with just all mega strengths. Yeah. And then you just crush everyone. Yeah, it's no fun. Then it doesn't matter. You want to be just competitive enough that it's tough to beat the other team, but you still win. You know, play with your left hand. Well, yeah. The controllers have like 25 buttons on them. You kind of need both hands. Play with your foot. Eh. I used to play with one foot. That's, that that might not be. competitor safe. And my hands. It was hard. Anything else going on in the news that we need to pay attention to? So Trump says he won't self-fund the election. Yeah. Says that's a bit much for him to figure out. It's a billion dollars they're thinking. Well, probably half that because he gets $2 billion in advertising just by free media. For free. He says he's going to have a world-class finance organization. Mm. By the way, NBC Nightly News last night, live yeah. from Trump Tower. I know. That was weird. And they said, oh, well, if, if Miss Clinton would like us to come by... Yeah. We'll come over to her headquarters and we'll hang out, too. We'll come over there. We'll do that. Yeah. Her headquarters is in some... It's down the street in the Bronx or something. Yeah. Uh, Mitch McConnell says he'll back Trump. I know. See, now they're getting on board. But McConnell's just happy that uh, Ted Cruz is out. Yeah, Because Ted true. Cruz still hasn't apologized for calling him a liar on the Senate floor, which is the greatest of offenses. 
<laughs> so he says, he, I've committed to supporting the nominee chosen by Republican voters. So it's kind of begrudgingly, but yeah. he'll do it. Uh, a judge says that Hillary may have to testify on her emails. Oh, yeah. Federal judge says Hillary Clinton may be deposed in a lawsuit related to her private email use when she was Secretary of State. But this isn't the FBI investigation. This U.S. District Judge Emmett Sullivan said Wednesday it may be necessary for her to give a deposition as part of the discovery process in the Freedom of Information Act lawsuit between conservative group Judicial Watch and the State Department. Yeah. Because they're trying to get her emails. They keep trying. They're, they're the ones that started this whole thing because they want her emails. They keep trying to get her emails. She delayed the emails. She delayed the emails. So now there's an investigation on that side. Ugh. The Department of Justice says that North Carolina's uh, – they're calling it the bathroom law that they passed for, you know, you have to go to the bathroom as determined by your gender. Right, right. The Department of Justice is saying that's not constitutional. You can't have a... Violates the Civil Rights Act. You're going to need to change that law. Oh, wow. So we'll see what what the uh, the state does there. It says it specifically violates Title IX, which bars discrimination in education-based uh Institutions yeah. based on sex Which and bathroom to use. Um, and and then part of the most important news of the day, KFC is now selling nail polish that tastes like chicken. Why? Why not? Wouldn't, won't people just bite their nails? So as this says, as they're taking the whole <laughs> finger licking thing good to a new level, the chain's <laughs> new marketing campaign in Hong Kong, of course, it's always never here. Yeah, no. It's everywhere else they test this stuff out. Comes in the form of edible nail polish so you know you can lick your fingers anytime and get that fried chicken taste in your mouth. Wow. Fried chicken. <laughs> oh, Ben still got that it, stomach flu. It thing. comes in two different right, colors. Ben? You're okay. One, okay. one color tastes like the original fried chicken and the other tastes like the hot and spicy. Um, yeah. I don't know. Why would you want this? I I have no idea. I think um, I don't like it when Ben gets sick like that because yeah, then kinda... I have to go over and hold his hair. <laughs> It doesn't. You're being a true friend. Though. Yeah. True friends do that for I, I appreciate it, Matt. That was weird. I didn't want to bring this up, but I'm going to bring it up. Chris Matthews. Did you hear about this? <laughs> yeah. Now, I'm bringing it video. up for a reason. It's pretty funny. So Chris Matthews is now in a little bit of trouble because he let, he, his, mic, his microphone was still on, and he made a comment about uh, – Melania. Melania Trump. Trump. Look at her walk. Did you see her she walk? She walks like a model. Runway walk. My goodness, is that good. Okay. You can't say that. No. You, you really ought not even think it, according no. to the Bible. Right. And he did. And um, now, here, now here, I'm only bringing this up because the headline in Huffington Post, I don't know if you saw this. No. Um, fact, let me pull it up because it's. It's this is the Huffington Post, right? And um, did they go a little too far with it? Yeah, but it's basically Donald Trump. Um, oh, I've got to find it. But yeah, they updated their website. Quite it's a bit. like a bigot, misogynist, sexist. I mean, they had like four really negative names for him, right? And many would say for sure, right? And it's probably for sure. Um, who knows? Who knows? But, I mean, Chris Matthews. Yeah. He's one of the leading journalists at NBC, uh, leading yeah, talk yeah. show hosts at MSNBC. And he's he always calls someone cute. Mm-hmm. And he does this all the time. Right. <laughs> Again, I'm not. It, it, but so the people calling people names have their own issues. That's all I'm saying. Right. Everybody does. You're saying there's a double standard. Yeah. Apparently. Yeah. 
Because he's not going to lose his job. No. And yet, everyone, they, now they're saying Melania is an independent woman. She's has a career. She has a company. She's a smart. Yeah. She's more than just a, a catwalk walker, whatever they call them, a runway walker. Right. It's hard. <laughs> but when apparently when she walks, she walks like a model. Well, so do I. No. No. I, oh. There's you, different you, kind of model. You sort of dump truck around the hallways. That's my life. <laughs> <laughs> beep, beep, beep. It's beep. not really graceful. I'm Here comes Matt. He's backing up. I, I'm graceful. I flow. Mm. No, I think you need to watch closer. You stumble sometimes. Oh, sure. But that's just when I had my bad foot. Sometimes you do skip around the office, but it's, mm-hmm. it still lacks a little bit of the grace, I think. Yeah. Maybe I'm not going for grace. Lumbering, that'd be a word I'd use. <laughs> like the whole floor kind of like shakes. That was rude. What? That was rude. Yeah, that's totally I was weird. just talking about his the, – the method of which he walks. You're mm-hmm. talking about the force of which his body, body hitting hits. the ground shakes oh, the no, building. You, I leave that alone. You, you can hit yeah. force without being heavy. Talk about that. <laughs> Maybe not. Anyway, um, I, just everybody. Everybody's got their problems. Donald just may have more. But don't discount the guy. Forever, there's something he's doing. Or, here's a better idea, there's that much pain in the world, in the country. There's that many people that are mad. Let's just say that. But I wouldn't think that a 10-point, 12-point, 13, 14-point deficit you know, with Hillary Clinton is going to be something that will stop Donald Trump necessarily. Now, who knows what he'll do because he's got a lot of women to apologize to. But, you know, when Chris Matthews makes a comment about Melania, maybe that's going to help. And, uh, you know, maybe he's not the only misogynist around. Sad. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We're going to come back with BYU's own Moneyball, Zach Knowlton, and we're going to talk about uh, numbers and objectivity. When it comes to our athletes, this is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. We'll be back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, in the world of sports predictions, there is no sure bet, right? There's no sure thing. Brackets are busted and bets are lost, all in the name of upsets. But what if you had a way of knowing how well a player is going to perform throughout a season? Joining us today in the studio is Zach Knowlton. Zach and his team here at BYU developed a statistical model rating athlete performance as a way to better guide coaches and their weekly decisions about their players Here's uh, he's here now today to talk about this, uh, you know, this, I guess, formula that he put together and uh, just how important the numbers are off the field as well as those that you see on the field. Zach, welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you, Matt. I appreciate it. Good to have you. This is, um, I think, a really fun topic. My kids love the Moneyball movie because of the idea that you could get objective data, build a team fairly inexpensively that could perform with high performance, that's that's kind of what you're doing here with with BYU football. Yeah, uh, we really want to help the coaches identify what players are most effective uh, in game time situations. So uh, there's obviously players that are rated 
really high and everyone would guess that they're rated high, yeah. right? Tanner Mangum, everyone knows yeah. he played well. He was effective to have on the team. Right. Um, but it can help in those fringe situations where you maybe have two players that you, that the coaches believe are fairly equal. Right. Um, but you only have so many plays you can give to players in a game. So help them identify, okay, which of these two players in the time they're in is having a bigger impact in terms of points. And, and they, so, so you look at it on the game field as well, but you also look off field. Uh, mostly it's just in-game stuff. Is it stuff. only in-game stuff? Yep. And then you take all of their stats and put together a grade. Yeah, the coaches actually do that. Do they? So they go through uh, – I don't envy them for having to do this, but they go through play-by-play for every single game uh, and give each player a grade. Per play? Yes, per play. Wow. It sounds like they already do that. So we didn't yeah. ask them to do that. They already did that and then just kind of sent over that data to us. So, awesome. um, But I mean – well, I don't know how many plays there are in a game. What's an average amount of plays on defense? Uh, on defense, usually it's around 60 or 70. 60 uh, plays. We've had as many as 80 or 90. And how many players on the, t- on the field? 11? Yep. Wow. That's a lot of grading. Yes. <laughs> that is incredible. So it's 11? Wow. And then all of a sudden, you get this, this score sheet. They pass it to you. And um, you take all of that and you put it in a magic machine. <laughs> and sprinkle yeah, fairy dust on it. Yeah, exactly. And what do we know then? So then we know which players, uh, when they have a good rated play, uh, what their point out, what the point output of the team, uh, how that point output is affected. Okay. So it, it's a model that um, two of my professors I've worked with, my advisor, Dr. Fellingham, and another professor, Dr. Reese, they developed this model when working with the Eagles. Uh, a few years ago. Oh, really? Yeah. And so they pitched that to the team uh, and they loved the idea. They already had the grades. So we just then had to kind of implement it, write all the code to be able to make that happen. And you sent a Twitter or a tweet to um, Coach Mendenhall. One of the assistants saw it and all of a sudden you're on the team. Yeah, we're in business. Apparently, Twitter is a good way to advertise things, right? Yeah, totally. <laughs> do, do the players, did they like you or did they look at you like, oh, that's the guy that is always measuring my waist. I'm not really sure. Uh, I know Bronson. Yeah, Kifusi, you know Bronson, yeah. Uh, he, so he's a, he was a stats major. Uh, oh, he, he was? He helped us get all this kind of running. He, he really was a good input. And so he liked it. He liked seeing, okay, uh, I play right end and left end on the team. Yeah. Which, which side am I more effective on, a.k.a. what side should I improve? And uh, what are some things we gave him game-by-game reports? So... Here's a game where I was really effective, and he can kind of uh, be able to delineate yeah, when was he different. was effective versus when right. he wasn't as effective, which is really interesting. And and then I guess they could then go watch the film and say, oh, oh. Yeah. These are my A's. These are my C's. Yeah, exactly. That's interesting. And I guess, too, just the mere fact you're measuring everything, they know they got to hustle. Yeah. And I, I think it uh, – it provides this quantification of their player performance to where the players know that uh, what they do is going to be measured in some number in the end. Yeah. So it, it kind of provides uh, somewhat of a incentive for, for them to continue to perform hard. I mean, I don't think yeah. they need that extra incentive, right? Right. right. Uh, but it kind of provides that for the coaches at least. But it's not personal either. I mean, it's objective. Oh, no. It's like, yeah, there it is. Yeah. We, we put everything in and – Send it straight through. Everyone is given the exact same starting point, uh, and then 
what the what the data shows kind of runs from there. What happens though when you're? It seems like you could be getting A's. Well, maybe um, this is backwards, but then you go play Alabama, and you're playing against a guy that will be a first round draft pick, and he makes you look like you're getting D's. Yeah, <laughs> but you're really doing what used to be A work. It, it, does it? Is there a sliding scale based on performance, or is there just an absolute value? At that position, that's a really hard problem in this. Yeah, uh, and really, that goes back to where the coaches grade things, right? So, uh, honestly, this is what Coach Taki wants to get better. So he's setting up some sort of grading rubric okay, because great. really, it's really subjective. Yeah, uh, and often in games where we have wins, players are just rated better in general, which makes sense in terms of a. Yeah. standpoint of looking at right. the outcome of the game. Cause, effect, right. Yeah, but we'd like them to be on the same scale regardless of a win or a loss. Right, right. And even if it's an 80-yard gain, if a certain position did their job, they should still get a good grade sure. even though maybe a corner blew their assignment mm-hmm. and there was a huge pass play. We still want to be able to assign those more objectively. Right. Uh, and, and that's a very, very hard problem. I don't think it can ever yeah. be completely solved, right. but they're trying to work on a way to standardize it a little bit better so that, you know, when we play better teams this year coming up, we have a hard schedule oh. so that it, it kind of inherently adjusts within you, the model. Because you want to trust the data. Yeah. And, but I guess, too, even if you're playing against a top five draft pick, you, you should, even if you got a C, you could still lose. I mean, how do I put this? It, it might be simply that you could play your best game ever, and still the guy scores on you. Yeah, a bunch. Yeah, and and still even, but you're pulling an A. Yeah. You did everything you could do. <laughs> He's just that much better. Yeah, and really, what would happen at that point is that position or player would be rated as less important in the game. Okay, yeah. because. Even though he's doing his job, him getting stops isn't as important because it's just going to happen. Yeah, right. And so maybe in those situations where we have more 50-50 chances, right. that's really where we need to be making the difference. Are, are other teams doing this? Not that we know of. Uh, I imagine that there are some out there doing doing some similar things. Often in sports, people don't advertise everything that they're doing. Right. Obviously, you want to have some sort of competitive advantage. Yeah. Um, but whereas this is more of a self-evaluation, we're trying to move it into scouting. Uh, this is something that we're okay talking about right now. Obviously, we can't get into all of the yeah. player rating yeah, details. Yeah. Um, but from what we understand, I think we're the only ones implementing this type of rating system, which and then is awesome. Fine-tune that rubric. Fine-tune uh, your coach's ability to actually model it and grade it right. Mm-hmm. And you might have, I mean, then all of a sudden you, you've got all this data to look at and see what happens with every single game. Yeah. And do you rate the other team? Uh, we don't right now. Uh, we're looking at a system to where we can. So the, the point metric that we use is called expected points. Yeah. Um, it's essentially based on probability models. So, so, what so points Vegas do we expect to score? Yeah. <laughs> uh, we built that model actually, okay, which is, which is pretty fun. At least you're not going to Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> It really is com- some cool stuff and um, it also – especially in this world where every little advantage you get could be huge. Yeah, especially in a football game. Yeah. I mean if if it's a three-point spread, you expect the game to be really close. If you can get even a one-point advantage and then have one or two good plays because of the players you have in, I mean that can be huge. Does it equate to other sports other than football like basketball? 
Yeah, basketball is a little bit harder because you don't have as much stop and go. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of different models that can be applied to basketball. We actually have a couple people from our master's program, one that I believe is the director of analytics for the Detroit Pistons wow. and another that works for ESPN. Um, so there's a lot of basketball analytics going on. I don't have as much knowledge with that. Right. I mean, I love basketball yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'm planning on kind of learning some of those things just in my spare time. But Well, we, you know what, Zach, let's take a break. We'll come back because you've been at this since you were in high school. No, seventh grade, wasn't it? Yeah, seventh grade is when I did uh, a big science project using sports and stats. So. Zach. You know, as a guy that was forced to take statistics and has hated it, you're making it sound pretty fun. (laughs) We'll take a break. More with Zach Knowlton. Um, BYU's Moneyball. Without the money. Yep. More ball. But he's got game, folks, and uh, he'll be an adjunct faculty uh, member here at Brigham Young University for a while. Then he's heading out into the big leagues to go work in corporate America. We'll take a break. More with Zach Knowlton. And... uh, the numbers behind the game. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. In studio with us right now is a uh, is our own little BYU Moneyball. If you remember the story about the Oakland A's team, where a statistician decided to uh, to figure out the best team that he could build for the least amount of money to get the biggest bang. Well, we got the same guy here. Zach Knowlton um, is a graduate here from Brigham Young University. He just uh, completed his MBA in statistics. No, master's in statistics. Yeah, MS. MS in statistics. Many wonder why. Why would you get an MS in statistics? But it's so that you can go make huge amounts of money in the field of sports. That's the hope, right? That would be so great. <laughs> he, though, um, put together uh, and is working with uh, Brigham Young University's football team and has found a way to, to basically evaluate play-by-play and actually create a grade per play so the coaches actually have objective data on how to manage the team, who to recruit, who to who to have play the position, and their numbers. Yep. That's cool. Yeah. You pitched it to Bronco Mendenhall and the team, and eventually, I guess you got on that year? Yeah. Is that when the study started? Yeah. We So we started with this study the beginning of the 2015 season. And it seems like every team should be doing this. I thought they were doing this, but apparently not. Yeah, I, I think college football salaries are are limited in terms of hiring stats guys. Yeah, uh, but we have an awesome statistics department, and so being able to harness all the students that right. love sports and have statistical minds and want to get just in awesome. there. And, yeah, is it? Uh, do the numbers get in the way ever? I mean, is there ever a point where you've kind of got the Rudy kind of scenario where the numbers may not be there, but the heart is, and sometimes you need heart, not numbers. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think I've talked about it a little bit before, uh, but sometimes there's a misconception that it's like analytics, stats guys versus the coaches versus the scout guys, right? But I think the coaches have the best grip on their players and what what they can do. So we can provide a resource to help the coaches 
kind of be able to rate those players yeah. and, and work on it from there. And they can use that resource or they don't have to use that resource if they want to go with their gut. And I think that's okay. Right. As long as they have some numerical backing for yeah. some of the decisions that they maybe didn't have numerical backing before, then we're providing a good service for it's, them. It's just data. Yeah. I mean, it seems like coaches would be hard pressed to sometimes make an argument for why they're playing one player over another and their gut is telling them it's right. Yep. But this could just support the argument. Yeah, it gives them some sort of backing for that. Well, also because there's a lot of money on the line in a lot of these things and there's also scholarships. Yep. I mean, and sometimes people that aren't performing are getting scholarships that and others that are performing aren't. So, I mean, it might be interesting to make sure that at least gets into the equation or the discussion. Yeah, I have no idea if they had that as a future application in mind. Yeah. Uh, but it would be interesting to see if that could go there. Well, and just I mean, it's the same thing in the NFL or the NBA. All of a sudden, somebody gets a big contract and their performance, you know, fades. Yeah, and you're like, what? You just signed a ten year deal. <laughs> Come yeah. on, talk about um, your uh, the numbers. So. So the coaches, after a game, sit down, they grade every player, every play, and then they turn in those numbers to you, and you basically put together just, I guess, stat sheets, score sheets. Yeah, so we have – it's called an expected points model. So given any down distance and field position, we can – calculate probability of scoring a touchdown eventually on that drive wow. scoring a field goal and so we use that to say okay as a result of this drive we should probably score an average of 3.3 points say uh, and so then based on the change from one play to the next so you go from a 3.3 play to 2.8 play uh, you lost 0.5 expected points on that play yeah. so let's look at the grades on that play and see what who happened? affected that negative play or who affected that positive play if there's a really good positive play yeah. Which makes a whole different game the next game because yeah. now you're sitting there saying, yeah, we can't trust running the play that side historically. Yeah. So we'll run it this way. Interesting. And then you'd give those numbers to the players or to the coaches and then the coaches – do you meet with the coaches and then go over the numbers with them or is it pretty self-explanatory? So we try to make a report that's self-explanatory. They're pressed for time. Yeah. We understand that. Um, and we didn't contact the coaches as much as we wanted last year. Uh, Coach Satake actually seems very interested in making this connection happen a little bit more. Right. So we're trying to set things up over the summer to where we can have weekly communication with them so they can ask us questions. If they mm-hmm. have questions on why a certain player was rated this way, we can talk about kind of the grades that happened, the plays that they were in, yeah. and how that kind of affected yeah. everything. How great is this? Because it seems like, you know, this is like jocks versus nerds, but really, you need everybody. Yeah. And how cool that a bunch of people that love the sport that maybe would never play but have played but maybe won't play at a college level can get in there and be a part of the team and actually make a difference. Yeah, as a fan, I love that, I bet right? you do. Us nerds love sports too, totally. right? So well, it's, and it's you're, you're an effect. athlete too. So, But you, who can play at this college level except all of a sudden the brains walk in the room and you actually give energy and fodder and data to the coaches – they yeah. already get it, but now they can validate it. That's huge. Yeah. We we really love the position we're in. Yeah. Can, and where do you see this going in the future? Because with so much money on sports, it seems like metrics – we already know at a combine, it's all metrics, yep. right? And everybody goes in there knowing a person's uh, you know time on the 440 or whatever it is. What is it? The 40-yard dash or yep. whatever. Um, 
and how high they can jump, they, all that stuff. They know those numbers, but to know their play, I mean, to, for an athlete to be able to turn over this data to the NFL draft people, this is my average grade per play. This is my yard expectancy. This is the impact I was having. I mean, that data, if you could systemize, systematize it, holy cow. Yeah, that could be awesome. And the NFL, this expected points thing is really standard. Is it? ESPN uses it for their QBR. Uh, Most NFL people understand the expected points thing. So if players could be coming out with, hey, here's a little extra data on how I perform. Yeah, draft ability goes up. Yeah. Wow. So that could sell that that to BYU. Like you got to say, look, we got to put together packages (laughs) on your players. So. We'll That's claim that for Bronson getting drafted. We'll, we'll claim that. Claim we that. Claim Bron- because Bronson didn't have a prayer if you guys <laughs> hadn't been there. Oh, that's awesome. So, and then in the future, your hope is just to keep uh, to keep writing on it and studying it. What are your goals? Yeah, so uh, I'm training someone to take over my spot right now for when I leave. Uh, I also, just as a sports fan and uh, stats guy in general. I I have a website I'm working on in the in the background to have on going on the side. Cool. Uh, I'd love to be able to continue to work in sports analytics, though I am going to work with Oracle. I, th- I think yeah. you mentioned yeah. that earlier. Um, so if the opportunity ever came, I have kind of a resume and a website that I've done sports analytics, and I can show a team. Hey, I've kept up with things since yeah. I graduated. I know I haven't been in sports, but I've kept up with it. So that's my personal goal. I'd like to stay in it just because I love it. Totally. Uh, and if that opportunity comes later, I think that'd be a great opportunity. And maybe take it to high school. Yeah. Uh, I played for the Springville Red Devils. Go Red Did Devils. You? Go Red Devils. Uh, with I, the coach, I'd love to help them. Pass pro coach. Uh, who is the coach? Scott, um, Scott Mitchell. Scott yeah, Mitchell. He's not the coach anymore, Isn't he? but yeah. Uh, it'd be really... It'd be, a cool business idea to see if high schools wanted to get on board and starting to use a little more data and analytics because yeah. they don't have those resources. Man, and Oracle's can... lucky to have you. Uh, I hope so. He'll be, by the way, you'll be in like the Denver, greater Denver area. Yep. So, you know, if there's a team. Broncos. Broncos. Uh, you can maybe have to go down to Colorado Springs, Little Air Force Academy. Yeah. Hmm? See huh? if you can help them out. But um, good luck. It's a, I think it's really cool. You're You're basically living your dream, but – Keep doing it. Don't stop doing this. Thank you. And there's there's a huge career behind this. Oh, yeah. I, I think it can be a really fun. Man. His name is Zach Knowlton. He's for hire in the greater Denver area <laughs> in the next year, next six months. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to be at Oracle starting in August. So. Man alive. Okay. Good to meet you. Good to meet you as well, man. Thanks for helping the Cougars. Yeah, thanks for having me. We'll take a break, folks. Come back. Continue the discussion. Doing what we can to help you see the good in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, uh, we wanted to uh, – we've been talking numbers. And you can get blinded by the numbers, right? I mean, it seems like – and the numbers can be wrong. Just ask Mitt Romney. Yes. <laughs> like, the numbers can be totally well, wrong. That was something else, and it, it didn't, the conversation didn't go that way. But, uh, like, politics, does he does – he, does, does any of this sort of translate into yeah. a different arena entirely? I don't think it does. I, well, I bet but, there are people that do that, but yeah. not what he was doing. He was it, doing with sports and yeah. you know, pr- the, you know what you do on the field. Sports seem more fun. Yeah, it means less. Yeah. When it's politics, it's all of a sudden it's important. You know, when it's sports, yeah. you're like, yeah. Nate, Nate Silver 
has made a great career being really good at numbers for politicians. Yes. Well, but it's just not as fun. Yeah. You know who else does a great job with politicians? Um, Jimmy Fallon. Yes. He's impersonating politicians. I don't know why he would do that. When he brings them on, he, he asks them, you know, what's your, what's your favorite color? That kind of stuff. Here's a little Jimmy Fallon um, calls Obama to brag about Indiana. This is Trump. Jimmy Fallon as playing Trump. Trump calling Obama to brag about Indiana. Did you see the news? I'm now the Republican president. And come November, I'm going to be voted Captain America. <laughs> All right. Congratulations on Indiana. Thank you. I love Indiana. The birthplace of Indiana Jones. I got to admit, it was a big win. It was a big win. And when I'm in charge, America's going to start winning and winning bigly. Did, did you just say bigly? That's right. Bigly. And I'm going to be the bestest, most fantasticest president ever. It's going to be magical. That sounded like Obama. Did you just say bigly? I don't know who that actor is, but I don't uh, either. he's pretty close. Yeah. That's Donald. I'm not even sure that's Jimmy Fallon doing Donald. It's it's fun when you have Donald sitting there next to Jimmy Fallon as Donald. That's even better, isn't it? Here's another one. Uh, Jimmy Fallon, uh, Obama tells Trump to act presidential. Look, Donald, listen to yourself. Look, if you want to be president, uh, you're going to have to act presidential. You can't go around claiming that people's fathers shot JFK. Uh, or accusing, accusing people of being born in different countries. Now, 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 look, can I give you some advice? I don't know. Kenya? <laughs> there you go. I don't know. Kenya? Interesting. That's cool. Did you see Obama yesterday in um, Flint? Yes, drinking water. He was thirsty. I need some water. There, I bet you Buck Saturday Night, Saturday Night Live will have something on that. Probably. Like him drinking like a big, sludgy, dark... <laughs> Horrible, nasty drink. Yeah. He, <sighs> said, he says he has their backs. Yeah. We'll see what that means. And I really I, – I, I liked his speech. It was a great speech about we need to unite. We're more than this. But th- there's this – there's a weird feeling that goes on because he's representing the federal agencies, mm-hmm. state agencies, city, local. And then there's a responsibility of the people – so everybody's at play, but he was praised and loved, and then the governor came in and just got crushed, which you know probably needed. I didn't see that. Did he get booed pretty he got bad. Booed. Yeah, well, of course, really bad. And he was apologize. I'm here to apologize. I'm everyone here to say sorry. Boo. Everyone says it's his fault. You see the yeah. emails. He was pushing it around like, oh, send it down over to these people. Let them figure it out. Right. And oh, there's no problem. Oh, just who cares? Ignore that. And right, people it, are it's drinking lead. So can I just suggest how that could have been done better? So if the president wanted unity. Bring him out with the president? Yeah. Yeah, I don't think the president was going to do that. Exactly. <laughs> so – but then we talk unity, but then – no, 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 no. He's not coming out with me or my Secret Service help. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Let him come out by himself. Again, he may be the cause. I don't know. I don't know all the details. But then bring out the local people yeah. who were just as complicit. Right. And bring everybody out. It was a, a state, a county, yeah. a city. It was everyone. Everyone along the way had a, had a hand in that problem. This, I think, is, again, why people don't – this is why I think a Trump could thrive. Because of the 
anger and discontent. People don't yeah. trust anybody. No. They don't trust anything. In fact, The Onion came out. Did you see that whole Onion report that four years ago, The Onion came out predicting the Donald Trump sweep? So did The Simpsons. Did The Simpsons? What did The Simpsons say? Well, no, The Simpsons had uh, – they predicted his presidency. Oh, they did? Yeah. What is, about Donald really being president? Yeah, this was like several years ago. They did an episode and, they, you know, you think of something far-fetched and ridiculous. And, hey, what about Donald Trump as president? So they did a whole episode well, that way. So The Onion is this – they they it's a satirical they, website. satirical website. They do spoofs on, um, on situations and they talked about just this big, bright, hot orb that was eventually going to take over the world it's in the orange? future. It was an orange <laughs> fireball. And we'll put it on our um, page, on our Twitter page. But it's just going to come in and it's going to take over. And because people are so angry, it's going to take o- – and it will take over. And it's the anger of the people. Do you know, the anger of the people are going to burn everybody. Do you know if they fired that journalist for being so accurate? Yeah, they did. Okay. They fired that satirical journalist for being so accurate. That was dumb. Wow. Wasn't dumb. <laughs> He's just got. He just. It's he, an honest question, I think, because the onion's trying to make kind of fake news, and yeah. you make something that mm, seems sort of plausible now. Yeah, now it does, doesn't it? <laughs> so it's like uh, you're not you know was, sticking with them with the, uh, the theme whole, of the they, website. In fact, it was really funny. It's a video, and when you watch the video, it's because it's Obama won, and that makes all of the conservatives so angry that four years later, the winner is just a big ball of anger. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, it, it does. If you you look back and you see how I was hearing, uh, it was a, a podcast politics thing this morning where they're talking about how you had the Sarah Palin John McCain bumper yeah. stickers, and at that point, people were ripping off half the bumper sticker just leaving Palin. Oh yeah, because yeah. they liked that sort of discussion, the way she presented herself, and she just kind of the straight talk concept, mm-hmm. and and so that that was brewing. That was in two thousand eight. By the way, so Chris Matthews. Also found Sarah Palin. Yeah, he did. Really beautiful. <laughs> He's been creeping for years, so it's fine. It's interesting. Yeah. You'd think they wouldn't do that because that's creepy. <sighs> Folks, come on. Anyway, um, this is politics. But we're done with it. We'll take a break, folks. Come back, and uh, next hour, we're going to keep covering it. Next hour, we're going to be talking about your metabolism. How do you keep that thing fired up without eating ice cream all day? Right, Ben? We'll take a break, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach. We do what we can just to give you the tools you need to make it through life. Today, no exception. Do you feel like you need to lose some weight? Every day of my life. Every day. I am losing weight. Not going to tell you how. Mm. But those pills are incredible. You'll find it again. (laughs) It'll just be somewhere else. I totally will. And, And no, because today... Claudia Norris is going to help us fire up our metabolism. From Gibraltar. 
Are you serious? From she's the in, Rock of Gibraltar. She's in Gibraltar. Is she really? Yeah, I called her uh, house yesterday, her office. Well, it'll be fun if we can actually get her on the phone. Are you <laughs> sure we can make a call to Gibraltar? Yes, that's what I was trying to, to make. I uh, Earlier in the week, we tried to call the United Arab Emirates. Yeah, not allowed to do that. And uh, it wouldn't even ring. Did we find out why? No, I've are been asking no around. Call list? No, nobody knows. Uh, some people are speculating it's a State Department issue. And we'll let really? us make phone calls to – I go, we sell a lot of weapons to those guys. I think we're on good terms. We should be able to talk. <laughs> What's going on? But we are going to be able to call Gibraltar. That's great. Yeah. And uh, she's going to show us how to fire up our metabolism. Now, I thought that was just a little oven, the little, uh, you know, the, the Easy stove, bake oven. The stove inside your body that just <laughs> burns out all that fat. I just need to send miners all over my body to scoop the fat and go feed the – Fire. Feed the fire? Maybe that's not how it works. Mm, probably not. It sounds sounds fun. Don't you just fire it up by eating? No. Darn it. Though they'll probably make some idea that there's some foods that can speed up your metabolism. Yeah. Anything with Tabasco. Well, no, but <laughs> I don't <laughs> you think know, so. <laughs> you know what fired up Ben's metabolism? What's that? Um, vegetarian lasagna. Yes. Holy cow. That turned his metabolism. It, it, was more, it was more of his digestive tract. Yeah. I don't think that was my metabolism. Well, what was it that gave you the, the his, internal pressure his gastro to push so much stuff issues? out of yeah. your system? I, I'm on Terry's side with this one. It's <laughs> not really metabolism. We'll have to ask her because I'm sure you lost weight. Yeah, maybe. No, guaranteed. You look tiny. Don't you think he's skinnier? No. And you can see his bones, his ribs. He's, and more, his... he's more pale, which is amazing since he, you know, from where he started. Yeah. I know. I'm, it's I'm not like, like a ghost. He's almost transparent now. Translucent. <laughs> <laughs> I can see your heart beating. <laughs> oh, that's so sad. So we will be getting to that in a few moments. Um, it's also, remember, don't forget this. It's Cinco de Mayo. Mm-hmm. So is it insensitive to play this song? No way. I, I felt like this was too stereotypical when I... This is a cultural song, Terry. Well, it is, but I don't know. I'm Though telling you. you. If, if you go to a, a Mexican restaurant, they'll play this song as they walk around. Yeah, so it's fine. The mariachi band, so... Okay. But, I mean, yeah. Honestly, this is a huge day. We all... We shouldn't even... We should have this day off of work. Oh, wow. And if Donald Trump gets that wall... Yeah. We never will get the day off. No. That's so rude. Can't we all just get along? Mm, no, because it's not good for politics. If we got along, could you imagine, could you just see how boring politics would be? That's true. A lot of people would be less involved, less they would care less if we got along with everybody. It's totally true. It's password day as well. The day, do you have a song for password day? Mm, not really a song. Typing in his password, though. Yeah. Um, why? One of those really old IBM laptop, uh, keyboards. So do you change your password regular, regularly? No. Well, we shouldn't probably say that on the air. Yeah. There's nothing really in mind if you want them. Go ahead. But you still, your password is still... Password m- one. Love man, love master. Is no. That- no, I think it's Noodle Destroyer. Noodle Destroyer 1. That's me. <laughs> um, today you probably ought to look at changing your passwords, making sure you know there's a numeric. I use a password manager. It's a program on my uh, – Yeah, tell me about that. 
It's called La- the one I use is called LastPass. There's several different uh, different varieties of these programs out there, but you go through, you type in your password, it'll remember it for you, hmm. and then it, it's saved. Uh, so whenever you go to that website, if you have the uh, the extension, I use uh, Google Chrome, so it has the extension up there, and it senses you're on that page, and it just sort of auto fills your password. Like or just that. or it just logs you right in, whichever. Um, Do you use multiple passwords? Yeah, it's not all the same password, and then it's across multiple websites. But you can't remember all that stuff. Right. It even has, uh, if you want, you can use a. It's a password randomizer, so you yeah. hit it, and it'll give you like a sixteen character jumble of stuff, and you're never going to remember that. But it's it's involved with this uh, with this program. But if that thing goes down, the program has a master password, and that's what you remember. Oh. That's handy. Yeah. So you What's have, the name of the program? It's called LastPass. LastPass. That's what I use. There's another one called Password One, I believe, and there's several of them, but they're really good. And it's kind of smart because then you don't have to remember 90 passwords. No, I love that. And then you go in and you have they call it a password vault. Yeah, I have one it, of those. But and I it has don't every use it, right? everything is all well. I know that uh, the 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 iPhones have a, a program where they will remember passwords. Yeah. Google Chrome has one. Um, I know. I think the Android software on phones they have a, a, a software to remember passwords. Also, they try to help you out that way. Is that a free? It's 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 baked into the the software. So it's it's like with uh, with Apple, it's in uh, Safari, mm-hmm. and they'll ask you, "Hey, do you want to save this password?" You can save a bunch in there, and then you don't have to remember it on your yeah. phone or computer. And it's just a way you can secure it. You can make it random, and then you don't have to remember 90 passwords. It saves it for you. Well, and the neat thing is some company is then holding all of your passwords. Well, then there's that. And but a, you got to trust somebody. Apparently one of these password managers got hacked too. So, Oh, are you kidding me? Ah. <laughs> uh. so, you, you – I guess it just comes down to if it's really that important, really that sensitive, don't put it on the web. Don't save right. it somewhere on a computer. Keep it with you because there's just no place that's safe anymore. Everything's going to be uh, vulnerable to some sort right. of hacking type situation. You know what I found? I just leave it on my desk. You could do that too. I just write them down. I leave them right there by my phone on Pen my desk. and paper. Yeah, it's totally safe there. Nobody's going to come in my office. That's right. Hey, um, do you think this could happen in America? Okay, so a Japanese company offered an apology just simply after raising prices by nine cents. I read that. Japanese popsicle maker Akagi Nugio. Gio, That's probably really close. Totally ru- ruined that. Released a somber 60-second commercial to apologize for raising prices on its popsicles from 60 60- to 70 yen. People are <laughs> going crazy. They're not worthy. The equivalent of just nine American cents. So they raise it nine cents. And um, by the way, this is the first time since 1991 that the company has raised prices on its popular popsicles. But the, the public outrage. Outrage. Was so much. The, the entire company, employees and all, standing in front of the, their building went out. And they bowed Together. in deep apology for the offense. Now, could you ever see that happening? Could you ever see Google, Apple coming out? We saw it a few years ago. Netflix tried to do something where they, they split off streaming from their DVD service and make right. another company. And uh, they were tried to raise some prices too. And they, there was a huge backlash on Facebook. Right. They just their, – their Facebook page got blasted. And so they had to backtrack and, and, and apologize that way. But it wasn't because of 
you know, raising at nine cents. Nine they, they cents made since a, 91. They made a business decision and split the company and try, and it didn't right. work. So they, they quickly came back and apologized. They took a stock hit for it. Mm-hmm. You know, so here it hits you in the wallet. Whereas in Japan, because of nine cents, they come out and deeply apologize. You know, I mean, this yeah. the, we this uh, Dakota airbag story, right? Where there's millions of cars with this airbag, and people have died that explodes and sends shards of metal through you, right? Right. It has taken so long just to get Takata to admit that it actually is happening, uh, and now they're just rolling out. Okay, fine. Okay, we'll we'll add another three million cars to the list. Okay, mm-hmm. you know they're they're just dragging their feet on this. But these guys nine cents on a popsicle, and it's the worst offense ever. <laughs> well, and what's amazing? I guess that just shows you because they live in an honor code, right? An honor yes. system, and it, it, maybe we just need more honor. It, it seems like in the U.S. you have to get to the point of publicly shaming the company before they yeah. do something. Well, and even then it's like, oh, yeah, we're sorry. Well, did you hear Hillary Clinton's um, apology to the miners? Oh, what did she say? So she basically – she had I, made a comment that she's gonna we're, we're going to shut down coal mines. Put out coal yeah. – put coal miners out of business yeah. because we're going to make things so clean. So then something. in West Virginia when she was there, the guy's like, well, what do you want to say about that? Because we're coal miners and that's <laughs> – just wrong and she's and her basically her apologies was i'm sorry you felt bad when i said we're going to put you out of business yep so she's sorry for the feeling not for what she said okay i feel so much better <laughs> apologies you, you can watch people who've made public apologies and they stumble all over themselves because they start out with if i offended you i'm sorry we instead need... of saying i'm sorry for what i said exactly <laughs> yeah i'm sorry and, and actually caring that that wasn't i didn't think that through i didn't and she did eventually say i i, I misspoke i didn't think that through fully right. so i'm sorry that i said that she eventually cleared that up but we've got to get better at apologies in fact let's get a guest to teach us how to apologize because we need, I need to apologize to Ben. You, you're pretty brutal to Ben. Yeah. On a daily basis, you you embarrass him. You you call him names. Yeah. Ben, I'm sorry that I point out your obvious flaws and weaknesses. I expect you to grovel. <laughs> no, but Ben, I do have an idea for your business. Oh yes. Um, this Japanese company, they they make these they make the popsicles. The ones this is the same company that apologized, but they don't just use like hey cherry popsicles. They get a mix of oh. other flavors like See, the, soda, grapefruit. This is why I gave you this story was the flavor of the popsicles. Listen to this. They also have the flavor of spaghetti, white stew, <laughs> corn pottage, which is like a creamy corn soup. Mm, cream corn. Mm. So maybe when you're putting your ice cream business together, you ought not just think of things like <laughs> strawberry – Maybe you need to make seriously. You need a beef stew ice cream. A beef stew ice cream. Would, would Bits you, of carrots and potato. It's a creamy beef stew. Would you eat a, a cream corn no, ice cream? That I wouldn't do. Spaghetti ice cream? Spaghetti I would try. Really? Mm-hmm. But You'll, it'd have to be like a fettuccine uh, ice cream. Do you like cream corn? Alfredo? Mm. I do like cream corn. I like cream corn with pretzels. But I don't. Weird. Yeah. Are you pregnant? No, but some people thought I was when I was eating that because I'd eat it like all the time. Cream corn and pretzels. Just open a can, heat it up, get some pretzels. I don't know why. Is that, is that, was that weird? No, maybe you're trying to fire up your could, metabolism. You could do that with popsicles, like a pretzel cream corn flavor. I don't know that I'd go there. It's like the salty with the creamy corny. Corny. <laughs> Thank you. Who just 
who did we just have a quote about that had a weird word, corny? Anyway, um, you you should try some spaghetti. Maybe put some pasta in the in the ice cream. I'll have my people look Alfredo. Into that. It's an Alfredo. It's an Alfredo ice cream with noodles in it. I'll put my people on it. That's gross. You think that's gross? Yeah, I, w- I don't. I like have all- long. You gotta have long noodles. I had uh, pistachio pudding. Ice cream, not oh, pudding, but ice yeah. cream the other day, and just having the bits of nuts in there were a little weird. Ooh, cashew! I just had caramel cashew. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but having a bit of like noodles in your, it'd be yeah. like, did this get mixed in with something else? What are we doing? This you know what else? Wrong. Try this. Blend a Big Mac, blend it, just blend it up, and then make it into ice cream. I already did it. How'd it go? Um, I'll probably need to put some milk in it next time. Just yeah. to kind of like soak. Well, I thought if it's going to be ice cream, it would have to have milk. Well, I, I just tried it to blend the, oh, the hamburger. Yeah. He up made a nice that... surrey out of the Big Mac, yeah. stuck a stick in it, put it in the fridge or the freezer, and then pulled it out frozen. Was it as good as it sounds? Um, a little bit um, frozen, like yeah. frozen burnt. Freezer oh, burnt. yeah, yeah, yeah. That just might be your facilities. Yeah. So mm-hmm. might want to work on that. Anyway, I'm sorry that I make fun of you, even though I just gave you a million-dollar business idea. I don't do – you're the only guy on the team that I keep giving business ideas to. It's because I love you. I appreciate it. And bring some ice cream by. We'll do. I think I'd treat you better if I had some ice cream. I'm not saying you have to. I'm just saying – you want to be treated better. <laughs> if I don't want everything I care about destroyed. Mm-hmm. I'll crush you. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll be talking about how to fire up your metabolism. Do you have any idea? How do you actually turn on the burners that are going to burn the fat in your body? Stick with us. We'll be talking about your metabolism up next. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, uh, spring is in full bloom, and summer's just around the corner. This means more sunshine, outdoor activities, and yes, you get to don the bathing suit. Yes. It also means many of us are getting in shape, engaging in healthier living, and enjoying the outdoors. But, uh, you know, it's it's not always easy. Even if you want to lose weight, if you want to get healthy, it's not always easy to know how to do it and, and what's, the, what's the healthiest way to do it. So we decided to bring in a pro who can help us lose weight, you know, by using kind of our own method, our own, our own gifts of metabolism and, and other understandings to help us fight through uh, losing weight. Our guest is Claudia Norris. She's the author of Fire Up Your Metabolism for Lasting Weight Loss. And uh, she joins us now live from Gibraltar. Claudia, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Hi, Matt. Thank you for having me. You bet. Great to have you. And we need your help because now I was always convinced that uh, this is how I learned it in my health class, that your metabolism is like the furnace of your body and you just need to throw fat in it and it will burn it. So (laughs) That's absolutely right. And actually, it's, you know, when we eat, 
is as important as what we're eating. Okay. And, and a lot of people don't realize that. And a few simple changes can actually make a big difference to, to our body shape. What Explain, though, maybe different than the furnace. So the metabolism, though, is just the burner, isn't it? It's the energy it's burner. The, yeah. yeah, that's right. It's the rate at which we burn our calories. Okay. And so... We can burn a variety of different kinds of calories, I guess. I mean, I guess calories are calories, but some of them are going to just burn through us faster, right? So we've got to get our timing right, like you were just saying. And then eventually, and I know you'll walk us through the steps to do all of this, but we also have to get the right thing to burn, right? I want my fat to burn in my body, not, not I guess, just the sugar I'm eating. Exactly, exactly. And, uh, and you don't want to be, and you know, when people lose weight very dramatically as well, they're, they're, they're losing their muscle mass. And, and we want to prevent that as well. So it, it's all about getting the metabolism to work for us and, and doing it. And I loved how you um, said it at the beginning. You know, it's all about health. It's not about quick fixes. It's right. about doing things in a sustainable way. It's about lasting weight loss. And, and the, the metabolism, that burner is going to – it's going to work for us. We just have to know not to work against it. That's exactly right. And um, I'd love to explain a little bit more about that and also Do. maybe discuss you know, our sort of 24-hour society and, and, um, and how we can modify when we're eating to, to cope with our night shifts and you know, whatever mm-hmm. kind of lifestyle we're leading. Talk about the lifestyle issue. In your article in Huffington Post, you – mention the fact that you know Japanese sumo wrestlers understand their metabolism and they actually work against it right they they yeah, eat a lot of they, food and then they go right to bed and they skip their breakfast yeah. and yeah so talk about how our 24 hour system might be impeding our health absolutely well um, to to read more about the Japanese sumo wrestlers um, dr mark hyman has written about them in his book ultra metabolism and and as he says you know the the a young sumo wrestler is is just a scrawny lad, you know, right. and they, and they have to work very hard to to create to transform this scrawny lad into a sumo wrestler. And the way they do it is they get these boys up at five o'clock in the morning. They do several hours of intense activity. So they skip breakfast. They do several hours of intense activity, and then they eat, and they eat a very large meal. It's not unhealthy. It's things like noodles and prawns and chicken and miso, and, but they overeat because they're very hungry. Hmm. And then immediately after this very large meal, they sleep, hmm. um, and they have a siesta. And then later on in the day, they'll, they'll do some study and meditation, and then they'll, again, they'll have a very large meal and sleep. And, and a lot of us are inadvertently sort of following this sumo wrestler pattern, you know, so we might skip breakfast, for example, yeah. um, have lunch on the run, and then we're absolutely starving by the afternoon. And, you know, that's when we might reach for the chocolate and, the, you know, the crisps and the not so healthy snacks. And, and often it's when we unwind and relax in the evenings that we tend to eat the bulk of our food and then go to sleep. Mm. And we're not even sumo wrestlers. No. What's our excuse? We don't want to be either. Yeah. But it's interesting. We've kind of, we just find ourselves there. And then we get this idea in our head, it seems like, that, well, no, you need to diet. So you're almost not eating when you should be. And when you shouldn't be eating, you're eating. We're That's backwards. Right. We're a little bit backwards. 
And, and there's another great person in, in the States, uh, Mark David, the founder of the Institute for the Psychology of Eating, and he talks a lot about this in his Slow Down Diet. Um, you know, it, it's all about learning about our metabolic rate and, and then following it. Um, I, I've worked with a lot of police officers. At, at one point, I had uh, 79 police officers on a three-month weight loss program. Wow. And, and because I run online weight loss programs, I work with a lot of shift workers. So I've recently worked, for example, with a lot of nurses. And um, shall I talk you through how, how to yeah, please around that? Yeah. Yeah. So imagine you were clocking on at 8 o'clock in the evening and finishing at 8, o- 8 o'clock in the morning. You're doing a 12-hour shift. So... The ideal thing to do would be to have a good meal at about 6 o'clock in the evening before you go to work. And then at about 10 o'clock in the evening, have a really decent break. You know, so have, you know, a a nice salad with some chicken or have some soup with, you know, lentils and beans. Something really nourishing. And then try to let the digestive system rest over the night because I, so many shift workers and so many people, when we're eating against our metabolism, mm. we, you know, we can develop insulin resistance. Uh, we can develop IBS. It's very common to see IBS because our digestive system has its own circadian rhythm, its own rhythm of its own. Yeah. So if you are working through the night, it's, it's very important to try as much as you can to let your digestive system rest. Um, so then, say, at about 6 o'clock in the morning, you'd probably have a breakfast and then go home and sleep. Now, a lot of shift workers, they they get home. Maybe they don't have the chance to have a break while they're on work, but they get home and they go to sleep and they skip the breakfast. And this is a mistake because you're not going to sleep for as long. Mm. You're going to wake up because you're hungry. And then, and then, yeah, so then you're tired, which is going to make you probably not exercise and be more likely to make mistakes. Unhealthy choices. Yeah. When we're tired, we eat for energy. We just think, oh, I need some caffeine or I need some sugar. Mm. What does the, how do we know um, that our metabolism is kicking in? What, what are the signs that it's actually happening? The way the scientists measure it is body temperature. But most of us aren't, aren't really aware of, you know, changes, slight, minuscule changes in our body temperature. Um, you know, another great way to increase your metabolic rate is to, to um, exercise and to build up lean muscle. What does the lean muscle do? The lean muscle burns fat. <laughs> the more lean muscle we have in our body, the higher our metabolic rate. And it means we can be sitting watching some television in the evening and we're still, we're still burning. We're still burning our calories. Ooh, that's a good idea, isn't it? Yeah. Because so really strength training is very, is very helpful. Think of how many of more breathing. Cheetos you could eat, Claudia. <laughs> you could just keep eating. I, I'm not really a no. fan of Cheetos. Now. I know. Either am I. Um, okay, Claudia, let's take a break. When we come back, I want you to walk us through this, the average day now, starting you know, a regular day. If I get up in the morning, what could I do that would, you know, what's the proper way to kind of get through the day to maximize my metabolic rate? And also, we need to be exercising, too, to get that lean muscle. So we'll talk about that Absolutely. as well. More perfect, with, perfect. Uh, with Claudia Norris from, um, she's got a wonderful website, Nutritioning. Uh, nutritioning. Oh, oh, happyinbody.com. Oh, happyinbody.com. Sorry. I was going to go to your other Thanks. one. Happyinbody.com. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Stick with us. We're working on your metabolism. Listen up, folks. A few tricks to uh, help us burn. 
the fat we need. Stick with us. This is Matt Townsend Show. to the Matt Townsend Show. We are going to turn on your metabolism. Fire it up. And who better to help us with that than Claudia Norris from the website happyinbody.com, improving uh, your relationship with food and body. And she's on the line with us from Gibraltar, no less, and is going to walk us through her uh, Huffington Post article about how to fire up your metabolism. Claudia, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Matt. Thanks. You bet. So shall we start with how to, so a typical day, how to, yep. how to really fire up metabolism. And the first, the first trick is, or the first secret, we've got to have breakfast. Okay, how so big of a breakfast? Just a, just a couple pieces of toast? No, I would prefer a little bit of protein with that. So, you know, for example, some porridge with nuts and seeds or an egg with some toast, you know, or maybe half an avocado mm. with you know, mashed up on some toast, something like that. So, so, yes, and then basically the idea is to have had about 70% of your calories by 4 o'clock in the afternoon. So, we, you know, so many of us don't eat enough during the day and then we, we overeat in the evening. Right. So it, it's about it, starting the day with breakfast is very important. Now, a lot of people don't have an appetite at breakfast. And so... A trick that I use is to ask people not to eat past 8 o'clock in the evening for three nights in a row because that often stops the appetite in the morning. Yeah. So if I just kind of, uh, you know, be done with dinner and then not eat again, I will wake up hungry. That's the idea. That's the idea. I mean, obviously there are exceptions. For example, thyroid conditions. I'm sure, you know... People often don't have an appetite in the morning. But even if you're not that hungry, just to have like one oat cake with a bit of peanut butter, just start small and and baby steps build up. Hmm. And you will find you will start naturally waking up with an appetite. Now, I've heard people say that we need to to eat about every two hours something. Is that true to keep the metabolism going or is that just an old wives tale? Um, I'd, I'd say it's really individual. So, for example, when I work with diabetic ladies, I'll in, uh, diabetic clients, I'll initially ask them to eat every two to three hours just to get their blood sugars on a more even keel. Um, but it, it's an individual thing. A lot of people, if they have a, a, a good breakfast, they're okay till lunch. But it, but by all means, if you're if you're hungry, you get peckish. Have a few nuts. Have a few seeds. Have something. Mm. And so um, we in, so, the, in the morning. So we start. We have a good breakfast. Let's say that's around you know, 7 a.m. or whatever, and then, um, and then, and then wait, and then, you know, maybe have some nuts somewhere in between if we're, if we're needing it. But then you're saying make lunch a bigger meal. Make lunch a bigger meal. And I know that's not always practical, but bring in, you know, when we're at work, but bring in leftovers from the night before. Um, so many people will just have something on the run. They might grab a sandwich or they might just have a bowl of soup and there's not always protein in there, you know. Um, so if, if you were going to have a bowl of soup, Make sure it's got some chickpeas or beans or have um, a piece of toast with some chicken on, on the side. You know, just, just try and bulk it up a little bit more. Take the pressure off the evening because mm. um, we've got a lot more chance of burning our calories through the day rather than eating just before we go to bed. That's true, huh? Yeah. Yeah. And, it, yeah. and so if you, could, if you have a bigger meal, 
you'll you'll have a better chance of burning that off and then make sure you just have a you know a moderate dinner absolutely and you see actually our metabolism is highest when the sun is highest in the sky really so yeah so so when we wake up it, it um you know it jumps a little it peaks a, it peaks a bit your metabolism but actually having breakfast is like firing it up and so many people say well you know i have breakfast and then i'm hungry you know if i have breakfast then i find that i'm hungry all through the morning i say well that you know that actually that's fantastic because that shows and that your metabolism is is firing up and it's working <laughs> yeah. know, so we want that and it's okay to have a snack if you need it um, and then what happens is the, meta, the metabolism slows down a little bit in the afternoon. And uh, typically, like siesta time, I'm sure you know, some, some of the listeners might experience a little bit of an afternoon slump. That happens. And it's okay to have a snack in the afternoon. And in fact, if you haven't had a snack around 3 o'clock, I really encourage to have a proper snack about five o'clock. You know, maybe an apple with apple slices with peanut butter on, or you know, some oat cakes with, with nuts, that kind of thing, to take the pressure off the evening. Because otherwise, you know, after the commute home, you can get home, you can be absolutely starving, mm. and that's when we overeat, when we're ravenous. So we really—it's almost like you're saying we we don't if we if we need a snack, take a snack, but. We it, we don't want to have these long periods with no food, or we do become ravenous, and then we overindulge. Exactly. Exactly. So really, we're eating and to just keep us happy, so as not to create this need to overindulge. That's right. That's right. And also to get the balance of the macronutrients. So I'm talking about the protein, carbs, fat. So that's why I keep mentioning protein because if if it gets to the afternoon and we haven't had any protein or possibly even the good fats, our, our brain is going to tell us that we're hungry. It's not able to discern, you know, um, Matt, you haven't had enough protein yet today. Right. And what does that do to, I mean, because a lot of people, again, thinking the best diet is not eating. Um, what does it do to our metabolism when we do go these long periods of time without protein or food? It, I mean, it absolutely slows the metabolism down. And then it's you're so not burning. The rate. I mean, people may, of course, lose weight. Yeah. But what happens is you lose your muscle mass and you slow your metabolism down so that when you do go back to eating normally, you put the weight back on and some, you know, always with interest. Yeah. So, so that's not advisable. Um, I'd, I'd love to share with you some tips for eating around building muscle, building lean muscle, if that's... Yeah, that would be wonderful. Yeah. Um, Okay, so I work with professional golfers in Spain, and they're always looking to you know, in, increase their strength training and obviously build their lean muscle and improve their performance and then reduce recovery time. And what, what I do with them is four hours before training or before tee off or whatever it is, it's a good idea to have some carbs in your system. So it would be, for example, some oats if, if you know, if you were exercising at 11 o'clock in the morning, uh, you know, at 7 o'clock in the morning, have a bowl of porridge. Um, because we want the carbs to get the glycogen into the muscles. Hmm. Uh, if you're exercising early in the morning, just don't worry. Obviously, please don't get up four hours before. <laughs> but the night before, have some carbs. So you might have some wild rice or quinoa or even a bowl of pasta, whatever suits your digestive system. And then half an hour before your exercise, a little bit of um, sweet, high, you know, watery fruit. So, for example, watermelon is brilliant um, or an orange is good just to give you a little burst of 
lots of sugar, sugar energy, and um, also to make sure you're hydrating. So keep hydrating before the exercise. And then during your exercise, you obviously keep hydrating. Think about electrolytes possibly, depending on how much you're sweating. So I just would put a pinch of salt into your water. And then after exercise, after you've been breaking down all the lean, or when you're strength training, you're, break, you're tearing your muscle fibers. And in order for it to regrow, it, it layers up like if you were flicking through a magazine. It's very, very fine layers. And for that to, to grow and strengthen, you need to have the branch chain amino acids, the proteins in your bloodstream that are available. And they have to be available within 40 minutes of finishing your workout. Mm. Otherwise, the muscle doesn't re- regenerate or, or repair in the same way. Oh, is that why people so, eat, drink these protein shakes? Yes, that's exactly After right. a workout. You, that's right. But I just, I'm so suspicious of, you know, yeah. there's so many protein shakes with so many chemicals mm-hmm. and, you know, soy-based, which doesn't necessarily agree with people or whey. Um, so there are some fantastic raw vegan ones which are based on, you know, pea protein or cranberry protein. And, and I always advocate those or even hemp seeds, you know. Yeah. But it's, it's a good idea to have it as a powder form. So it's easy for the digestive system. It doesn't have to spend time breaking it all down. This is, I mean, it, it, it's again complicated. But then, when you know the science of it, it's it's pretty basic. You, you need to yeah, carb is. load, a little sugar push, get through it, protein pack. <laughs> you and know, hydrate. Don't forget the and hydrate, hydrate and hydrate all the way through. Yeah, and then and then of course um, for the recovery, we're still maybe I'd say to my golfers to have a steak that night if, Ma, if they've got through the competition and they're playing again the next day. They need to. They've got the night to recover. That's it because they're uh, another tournament the next day. Right. So and and so to have some protein for the recovery and carbs at night as well, like rice or you know that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, no, I love it, and I think um, I, I guess the key to this is. Learning your own body, learning your own uh, your own metabolism and, and, and what you need. You just got to start paying attention, I guess, to ourselves. Exactly. Honoring it. Honoring it. And, and so often our bodies are trying to tell us and we're not listening. You know, it's, it, when so many of my ladies, you know, they get heartburn at night and it's, it's so easy to, you know, when we, when we change the way they're eating, just not even so much what, but the when, it makes such a difference, not going to sleep with a full belly. Yeah. I mean, so, so I guess, I mean, we want to have it earlier, and then yeah. you're saying no food, really. You shouldn't be eating after what time did you suggest? You know, that's a tricky one. I, I, the, when you look at the Dutch, the Dutch population, they, they eat dinner between 5 and 6 in the evening, and they don't eat anything until breakfast the next day. So they're they're doing 12-hour fasts, that's mm. compl- you know, at least 12-hour fasts every day. And that's, that's normal. I mean, that's, that's extremely healthy. Whereas I have other clients, there's no way they would be able to do that. We'd maybe think about working towards it. But I might let them have, you know, an oat cake uh, at 9 or something so that they can sleep through. Because sometimes when the blood sugar is so disrupted, it's very difficult for them to sleep through the night and they, they're worried about being hungry. So it's really, like you said, working with your own body, understanding your body and working at your body's pace. Yeah. I, um, I love just the, the simplicity of it, really. I mean, it seems complicated, but, and maybe sometimes people overcomplicate it just to have an advantage, but it's, it's pretty basic stuff, kind of it is. know yourself, it is. listen to yourself. 
What would you say as we, we are wrap? A very young nutritionist. Yeah. We? I mean, your body knows, right? And it will tell you. Mm-hmm. What would you say is the one thing? The one thing that we, if we would just focus on this one thing, it would automatically improve our metabolism, our sense of, you know, improving our relationship with our body. Wow, that's a good question. Hmm. I think I think it's listening to the body is. is the most important thing, watching for the symptoms, um, re- reconnecting with our appetite. Because a lot of us, we, we eat when we're not really hungry and we've become disconnected from our appetite. Um, so I, I would say that really. And, and hydrating, good. hydrating through the day. Because so often, again, we think we're hungry when actually it's the thirst mechanism. We're, we're actually just thirsty. Yeah, that's true. Well, we appreciate it. Claudia Norris, thank you for your work. And again, the website, happyinbody.com, where you can go look at her online programs to, uh, to lose weight there as well. Thank you, Claudia. Thank you so much, Matt. You bet. Take care there in Gibraltar. And um, keep it up, uh, all of us, really. What did you learn? What's one thing you learned from Claudia that we need to, to implement, that you need to implement? Is it the exercise? Is it, you know... Loading up with a few carbs before you exercise. Hydrating. How about just reconnecting to your your appetite? How many times do you eat without being hungry and eat too much? Then you feel sick. Or even just managing the times you eat. All good news. All opportunities for each of us. Um, anyway. Think about what you need to work on. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll be wrapping up this first hour doing a little Coach's Corner. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer and love stronger. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Thought we'd do a little coach's corner here to uh, to help you uh, on an issue that you may run into just as you as you deal with people, right? So do you do you know somebody who you're talking with and you communicate with, but it seems like they don't emote, like they don't give you any feedback. You can't tell if they like you or hate you. Hmm. Other people, they might laugh at your jokes, they talk to you, they, you know, engage. But there are people out there that don't. And it it might throw you off a bit because you might be wondering, well, um, what's wrong with me? So I wanted to give you some tips, some tools for how to communicate with those that maybe don't communicate at all. And uh, five basic steps as we as as you just are trying to deal with some maybe somebody at work maybe a friend maybe you know the guy that runs your board on your radio show stuff like that nobody has that problem <laughs> you don't have that problem here's the deal five steps first key notice start noticing the difference the mere fact that you notice that they don't laugh that they don't have facial expressions that they don't show you know emotion Notice it. Don't react to it. Don't get mad about it. Just recognize the difference. And the problem with us as humans is we're so quick to react to what's going on that we don't 
we don't actually even recognize it and just let it be what it is. The, the mere fact that you notice a difference is important. If you can think of somebody out there that is a little harder to communicate with because of just how they how their their affect is, their facial expression, their response, their emotion to what's going on or their lack of emotion, a lot of us need people to react to in our conversations and so it's harder to to deal with people like this. But if I could just get you to recognize the difference, the mere fact you're recognizing it is is important. There are reasons why people don't show as much affect or or um, emotion when you're talking to them. I mean, there's physiological issues, right? Medical issues, Parkinson's disease, strokes. There could be past traumas. Maybe they've had a car accident in the past. Maybe there's been nerve damage. There might be psychological disorders. There may have been medical procedures that have gone awry. Maybe too much Botox, for example. Faceless, and there's a lot of reasons why you may not see certain expression, it, or it could be psychological, just how they were raised. They weren't raised in a family that talked and where you reacted and everyone was emoting. I mean, imagine being a child that's just left alone all day. And you may not, they may not have ever learned that that's just what we do. So, but the key is don't react to what's going on with these people. Don't just avoid them. Don't immediately go anywhere with it, but recognize that this is different. This person's different. Next, don't take it personally. Seriously, I so I do these speeches all the time, and at least every week I'll be in front of a bunch of people um, speaking, and we I'll tell jokes and embarrassing stories, and I'll talk about things, and people will laugh, right? And others won't. And there's some people that will never laugh no matter what you do. Like, they will never laugh. And at first I was like, what is this guy's deal? This guy just never laughs. And in fact, after my speeches, my wife will come up and say, holy cow, that one guy never laughed ever once. And um, I started realizing that it's not my fault. I mean, my job's not to make them laugh. But don't personalize it. Don't make it about you. It's not a reflection of you. Right? It's It's not about you. This is about them. Some people, for whatever reason, aren't going to communicate through their facial expressions. They're not going to smile. They're not going to nod their head to you know, egg you on to keep talking. They're just not going to do it. Others will do it naturally. Also, instead of don't just take, take it personally, make sure you also don't demonize them, that you don't dehumanize them. These are still good people, right? And as a good person – they're just trying to get through the day. They just came to see you speak. And interestingly, they're there and they didn't walk out. So they're probably honoring you their way. Don't dehumanize them. Don't call them a name. Don't, you know, oh, that grumpy old curmudgeon on the front row. The reality is they're just probably doing the best they can. Again, because if you don't know what's causing this, you don't know if they were a child that never had a chance to connect and grow up and learn social skills of, of emoting and conversation and facial expression. You, didn't, you don't know how they were impacted. So be careful that you're, you keep them as humans in your mind, good, honorable, decent people. Then um, what you can also do is simply adjust your approach. With certain people that you need to communicate with, it might be better to make sure if you're wondering if they even know what you're talking about because they never act like it in a meeting, you might want to text them or email them personally 
Have a phone call, a follow-up phone call. Think about every phone call you're on, you're not getting visual or facial feedback. So you might notice that they do it more on the phone than they do it you know, face-to-face. So change your approach. Instead of waiting for everyone else to be different, you change. Oh, well, why do I always have to change? Well, you don't. You could also just complain about it the rest of your life. It won't work. And then one way to follow up is to talk to them. Many times I'll have somebody that was never smiling, never interacting, never seemingly engaged in a speech, and they'll come up and they'll thank me for the speech. That was wonderful. That was great. And you're like, are you kidding me? You didn't even pay attention. Shake their hand. Ask a question. I'd even be very direct. You know what? Ah, I really I really want to know what you thought about how that went. And ask them a direct question that they have to verbally speak out. It's powerful, folks. Communication. It works with everyone. Even those that don't emote, you can still understand better. But the responsibility is on you. That's kind of going to be the case for all of us. It's always on the one that knows what they're doing. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. You didn't come with a manual, so guess what? We will we'll be your guide. We'll give you the info you need. To make it through life today, uh, we've we've covered a lot of interesting subjects. How to understand the numbers in sports, we've talked about that. Talked about your metabolism. We've talked uh, about a lot about Trump and Clinton. We've talked about apologizing. We've had a busy day. Let's talk about air rage and why you people in first class are the problem. What? Just... Go back to your place behind me and shut the curtain. Don't make me look at you. So this came out earlier this week. You need to tell me if you think this is real or not. Okay. A lot of this stuff comes out studies and research. And you know, is this real? I'll let is you Is this know. an actual thing? I, I know real when I know real from fake. So now, limited leg room is yeah. harder to bear when passengers know others are comfortably sip, sipping bubbly or whatever mm-hmm. up in the front in first yeah. class, right? You're having this great experience uh, in first class. Mm-hmm. I'm in the back, crammed in, no leg room. Some ki- person brought their baby on board, and they're crying, and you know all that kind of stuff. Or, or my my thing is, I always get the middle seat, and then someone falls asleep on me. Oh, that's awkward. like they just sort of tip over, and you're like, "What are you doing? You're just so nurturing. People feel yeah. comfortable. You've got those big, broad shoulders." And it's like, back off, pillows. To put on our heads. Per- That's the takeaway from a University of Toronto study that examined 1,500 air rage incidents from yeah. a single airline and found incidents rise on flights with first class cabin, particularly if economy passengers have to walk through the area to get to their seat. Totally agree. So if you enter the front of the plane, yeah. walk through the awesome seats, mm-hmm. and you get to sit in back. Well, the other yeah. problem is first class goes first. Right. So they're all in their seats. Yeah, drinking their drink. And then you get to walk by them as they're ordering, I'll have the steak, thank you. 
please, sir, pass me some Grey Poupon. And you get in the back and they're like, uh, would you like the dry chicken or yeah. – Except now they don't even give you yeah. any food. You get like so maybe some cookies. And you want some cookies? Half of whatever beverage you ask for. Oh, we can't leave the, the container with you. Why? You have I'm to have this boy. ridiculous plastic cup I've that's going to tip cans. over. Yeah, I think that's totally true. And I think it's um, – it actually – it's worse because in first class they look at you like – would you move along? Yeah. Move along, peasant. Get to the back. Please. It says when they close the curtains between the cabins or they remind economy passengers not to go into the forward cabin, it reminds people that they have paid hundreds of dollars for this experience yet are still deprived of certain services and comforts, says the uh, lead author. <laughs> when people feel a sense of deprivation and inequality, they are more likely to act out. Yes, I agree. I totally agree. So that that's solid science right there. Yeah. Yeah. It ticks people off when you think somebody has an advantage. Now, from your experience where mm-hmm. you're always in first class, yeah. how do you feel for the rest of us? Move along. <laughs> Get in the back with the rest of them. Keep it moving. I paid extra. Is that curtain take open? A <laughs> take a hike. Take a hike. No, I because I, I am one who gets to travel in both classes. This said the rate of incidents also spiked for first-class passengers when economy passengers tromped through their space, perhaps because they were more aware of their higher status and thus more likely to have entitled attitudes and be less compassionate. Yeah, totally true. So apparently it goes both ways. Yeah, and I've had both. But honestly, I think the bigger reason – if we actually went and researched why people get so mad on airplanes, I bet we'll find out it's because – your rear end is not made to sit in a seat that has been shrinking well, that, for the last 20 years. Usually the lack of Wi-Fi. Yeah. I think it's circulation because in the first class, your body is getting plenty of circulation because the seats are large. Right. In the back area, the seats are not so some, large. Some and, overseas flights, it's like they give you an entire yeah. bedroom. Yeah, right. Just, yeah. Just come totally. in and hang out. They'll give you jammies. Yeah. Yeah. There's it's, a shower in back. It's, it's great. It's totally. <laughs> and then there's me yeah. in the back, and it's I'm I'm again I'm I'm in the last seat next to the restroom, which is always the last seat to go. Mm-hmm. But you won't believe what they do in first class. Like once they shut that curtain, totally different world. <laughs> Party on, right? Seriously, <laughs> they bring you towels. Wow, warm towels mm. to wash your face. Here's so you're refreshed when you get off. Yeah. We want you to look better than yeah. those people. They um they they bring out steak. Why is this just class warfare? Why are they doing this? Because they can make more money. It's oh. always about the money. So really, there's they free food. It's incredible. But then you get the uh, the discount airlines, the JetBlue Southwest type, mm-hmm. and it's kind of you know every seat's the same. Just yeah. sit down. But those are worse too because then everybody that wants a discount is on that airplane. Right. And none of them have checked their luggage because they want a discount. You know, so some guy's like trying to put a goat in the overhead compartment. <laughs> you're like fighting a goat. Anytime you're fighting a goat. Oh, BYU is going to win the national championship. Oh. That's Jerome's goat imitation. There's his goat. <laughs> Anytime you're fighting a goat to get, yeah. you know, in the overhead, that's trouble. Plus, the t- it's just they're, they're nickel and diming you. Oh yeah, they're they're raising prices. They 
they change it so they, they'll charge you for your drinks and they'll do anything they can to yeah. try to get more money but they're losing money too right oh yeah well it's becoming more expensive yeah. with with fuel and everything but but they, even when the prices fall they keep the prices high because they're expecting the prices to rise again exactly and we have incredible technology if you guys want to take advantage of the technology it is there of course um, there's a fee there's a fee you'll have to pay for the Wi-Fi connection if any of you want to have Wi-Fi connection you can pay for it um, and you can also uh, if you want a headset, we'll provide you one. Um, if you want it to work, you'll have to pay for that. <laughs> if you want a functioning one, that's a different story. And if you want it to have actually um, cover both ears, that's double the price. <laughs> okay, I'll have a functioning headset that covers one ear. <laughs> Ooh, the mid-package. Good job. That's right. And then uh, what's weird too is you watch how the professional flyers, the guys that are gals that are on there all the time, Yeah, it's just methodical. They have their technology. They have their headset. They didn't get into first class this time because you know they were too. They got to the airport too late to get on the list right. to get in, <laughs> and they're just disgusted sitting back there with the rest of us. But they've already brought their own snack cart. <laughs> they have their own <laughs> beverage server. Everything out of Sky Mall. Yeah, crazy. In in a different story, but still sort of first class. Yeah, there was a. Uh, so this guy in Essex, Essex England, mm. right? Mm-hmm. He purchased a three hundred thirteen thousand dollar McLaren six fifty S sports car. Sweet. The car, according to this website, goes uh, zero to one hundred in under six seconds. Holy cow! So not for the faint of heart. Where would you need that? Apparently in Essex, England. Okay, yeah, sure. Okay, so you buy a $330,000 car? Basically. Because you know the add-ons. And then you go park it at the train station. Well, this guy parked it on a tree, it looked like. He had it <laughs> he had it delivered to his house. The neighbor spotted him uh, actually uh, celebrating with some alcoholic beverages. And then oh, he jumped brother. in the car and took off 10 minutes after taking receipt of this $300,000 vehicle. He uh, reduced it to a mangled lump of carbon fiber and metal, as the paper puts it. Police don't know yet whether the man was, uh, you know, not up to driving at that time. But uh, he did the car. He toasted the car. The car was just the front end of it was hanging off. That's a tragedy. You buy a beautiful, beautiful machine and just destroy it within 10 minutes. He needs to buy a Honda Accord with 130,000 miles. There you go. That's what he needs. And you may know someone with one of those. I'm, I might know somebody that has one of those, and I'm gonna and I'll trade him for the McLaren. There you go. If I had a McLaren, Can I you, could get here to work in half the time. No, because that's that you'd get caught by the cops in Linden. They'd have to catch me, like I did. Did you get caught? <laughs> it was several months ago, but yeah, yeah. And I was only going what seventy eight. You're not yeah. even in a McLaren. No, I'm just in a Chevy. That's sad. Oh, I hate to hear stories of such important loss. <laughs> pitiful, pitiful. Hey, uh, check out this uh, and listen up because, Ben, this could be you. So yes. a, a guy um, is proposing to his wife, right? Uh, Michael Banks was a cliffhanger. True story. Banks, 27, scaled a 600-foot Morro Rock just off of California's central coast early Thursday morning to propose to his girlfriend who was v- watching via FaceTime. So how impressive. He scales up 600 feet, and he's going to propose to his girlfriend via FaceTime. The good news is uh, Banks' girlfriend said yes, 
according to Morro Bay Fire Captain Todd Gailey. So you might be wondering, well, why, why was the fire department? Why does there? the fire captain have a have a quote here? Well, the bad news is Banks got stuck and had to be plucked by a helicopter for a tricky post proposal flight to safety. Oops, he got stuck uh. on the mountain. Got stuck on the mountain. Banks took a different trail down, a much deeper trail, and he was stranded. You know how that is, Ben. And uh, like Ben always climbs up on the Y to the the Y. The Brigham Young University has a Y on the mountain. Don't ask why. And Ben always gets stuck on the way down. Yeah. Right? I mean, there's a trail, but there's something about coming down that makes freaks Ben out. Yeah, my tend- my my legs don't move yeah. that way. You actually, it's weird. Have you noticed this? Have you noticed this about Ben? He's kind of got like giraffe legs mm. that bend in the wrong direction. Yeah. So I had to come down backwards. Yeah. When I come down the Y. But well, you don't want to bend. You know, walking down a mountain because it's a steep mountain um, backwards, dangerous. Yeah. Especially after you just proposed. I don't know why I keep hiking it though. I don't either. And. Um, he, this guy couldn't get – he was stuck on a ledge. So, the, so they had to come get him out. You need to plan if you're going to propose yeah. how you're getting into the situation and how you're getting out. Yeah, always plan your way out. He got halfway. He was uh-huh. probably more concerned about FaceTiming his proposal. Uh-huh. I'm not sure about that. Yeah, that's weird. You think you'd want to be with the person you're asking rather than just on the phone. Yeah, he's just dialing it in. Yeah. She was actually apparently a mail-order bride from Russia. Oh, okay. Well <laughs> – that explains more, I guess. That's probably why they were doing it. No, I don't know. I don't know. She's probably a lovely woman somewhere. Probably. But it, it does – you do lose a little bit of your man card. If you the have minute to, you're having the fire department fly you out. You're like, uh-oh. Yeah. That's – see, again, and this is actually a perfect segue to what we're talking about. I, I personally, because I'm kind of an introvert. Nobody believes that, but I am. I'm an introverted person. I probably wouldn't propose that way. No. I, I wouldn't do it that way. I would think ahead and think, I don't know that I want a rescue team involved in this. I don't know that I want to be wearing a harness mm. as I'm proposing to my wife and, you know, they're putting me into a ho- an ambulance on the way to the hospital after. Right. This guy's probably a very extroverted individual. Yeah. Today, uh, by the way, what are you, Terry? Introvert or extrovert? I'm pretty introvert. Yeah. But I might be, as we're talking about next, ambivert. Yeah. Which is in the middle. Yeah. Is you, that a thing? Yeah, totally. Yeah. That was part of the reason of going for this topic was I've been reading several uh, articles about introverts, extroverts, yeah. and then this new term. Ambivert. Ambivert, which is kind of in the middle where you're kind of both. Yeah. You have a very extroverted Persona. task here mm-hmm. where you're on the radio. It's all fake. And at the same time, you're introverted in the sense that you shut your door and you hate it when people open the door yeah, in your leave office. Me alone. Leave me alone. Because you'd rather not talk to I humans. hide. Get yeah. off my back. So you're kind of in the middle. Just talk to my peeps. Let me go take a nap. <laughs> ben, introvert, extrovert. So I took the Myers-Briggs test. Yeah. And I'm just barely on the introverted side. Really? Yeah. So you might even be an ambivert yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Kaylee, our producer, total ambivert. Really? Total ambivert. I would have thought she was an extrovert. She shakes her head. No, no. She doesn't know. I'm the doctor. She's an ambivert. I Actually, I'd, I'd think introvert. Total introvert. Well, that's too. I mean, she's, by law, she has to. House arrest. House arrest. So we're going to be talking with uh, a pro on the subject and learn about the 10 signs that you are an outgoing introvert. 
ambivert, they're called. And uh, it's an interesting thing because you either might be one or you're married to one or your boss is one. The more we find out about uh, our orientation to life, introversion, extroversion, interesting stuff. Stick with us. We'll be talking with Jen Graneman when we come back. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you uh, love stronger and lead healthier lives. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Here's the deal. You know, you may have heard that there are two kinds of people in the world, introverts and extroverts. But have you ever felt like you didn't quite fit into either category? You know, maybe you you tend to be a little outgoing, but you also like being alone. It's hard. And especially, how do you host a party? Because you like them to come over, but man, you wish they'd leave. When are they going to leave? Well, maybe not everybody fits into that perfect little category of introvert or extrovert. And uh, yet, uh, when, we, when it comes right down to it, we all need to try to figure out a little bit more about how we operate, who we are, and uh, who better to help us with that than Jen Graneman joining us. She's the founder of IntrovertDeer.com, the largest uh, community and blog for introverts and highly sensitive people on the web. And she says that introversion and extroversion are not black and white. She joins us today to discuss a category of people she likes to call ambiverts. And welcome to the show. Jen Graneman, thanks for being here. Hi, Matt. Thanks for having me on. By the way, I am so excited to have found the site because uh, I am an introvert, high sensitive, but I'm probably an ambivert, high sensitive. And okay. to now have a resource where I can go to understand myself, it's uh, super awesome. That's great. Thanks for being here. Talk to me about this. Uh, maybe just explain to me, all of us, uh, what, what's the difference between introvert and extrovert, and then where does ambivert come in? So an introvert is someone who is sensitive to stimulation. So they feel drained by socializing. They're also pretty reflective and internal people. They like spending time alone so they can tune into their own thoughts and recharge. Extroverts, on the other hand, they like to get out, they like to socialize, and they actually feel energized when they're out and about and around people. Uh. Now, ambiverts are kind of a blend of these traits. For an ambivert, their energy depends on the situation. So sometimes they act like an introvert, but sometimes they act like an extrovert. They Hmm. embody traits from both sides of the personality spectrum. And and these people are stable, right? Yeah, they're stable. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Because sometimes you don't feel like it. And I'm probably really not even an ambivert because I just – I really am an introvert. But – because you can be an introvert and play and still be social, right, and still be good at being in front of people and handling it. But if my true – energy is growing and and recharged by being alone, then I'm probably more of an introvert. Yeah, absolutely. And I like to call those people outgoing introverts because they're truly introverted at heart. They need to get um, alone time to feel good and feel recharged, but they can also play the extrovert when needed. Uh, I was listening to your show the other day and you were talking about your birthday coming up. Yeah, yeah. You were saying that you want people just Yes, you wanted people to just leave present and uh, go. Go away. And I thought, I wonder if he's an introvert. Totally. That sounds like an introverted thing. Yeah. I'm a total introvert, except I do all these things that seem extroverted, but it drains me. Yeah. Isn't I that a weird that job to have? Way. Like, have a radio show, but 
and then and do public speaking, which I do a ton of, and TV, and then but it drains me. Yeah, no, I I can relate to that. I'm actually a teacher myself, so mm. um, my job is very extroverted. You know, you understand me. Finally. Yeah, I get it. Plus, you're a high sensitive person, and we ought to have you back just to talk about that because that in and of itself is a whole other category too. That that also uh, it, it even adds more insight to your introversion. Yeah, it's fascinating. Introverts and extroverts can be highly sensitive, yeah. and it means you're more sensitive to um, any kind of outside stimulation like noise, people, smells, people's emotions, yeah. smells, exactly. Light, yeah. right. Yeah, oh. exactly. So talk to me about this. Uh, your, first of all, a great website, introvertdeer.com, and um, on there you posted 10 signs that you are an outgoing introvert. Give us some of the signs. What are the things – I mean really, the ambivert. It, you, you can probably play both sides of the, the spectrum in the game. But what are the signs? What are the signs that we need to be looking for? Yeah. Well, first let me say most people tend to fall into that ambiverted range. Think about introversion and extroversion being on a spectrum with introversion on one end, extroversion on the other. We all know those extreme extroverts who hate being alone and get a real high from socializing. And then we probably all know some extreme introverts, too, who prefer to spend most of their time alone. But outgoing introverts and ambiverts fall closer to the middle. Um, So there's a few ways you can tell if you're an outgoing introvert or an ambivert. So the first one I kind of already mentioned, but your energy level is closely tied to your environment. So you're sensitive to how your surroundings look, what kind of music is being played, how many people are present, the volume level of the room. So the ambiance of a restaurant or a place can energize you or drain you depending on, the, on if the place fits your preferences. Mm. So, for example, maybe a loud rock concert in a crowded stadium is overwhelming and draining to you. But if you're at your favorite local music club, which is an up-close personal kind of concert, which is a few other people, then you actually feel relaxed. So that's one. Oh, that's so true. And which might... Um you know, like there's certain restaurants that you go into, not to, you know, be negative about Hard Rock Cafe, but if I can't hear what's going on, literally I'll just phase out. Like I'm just going to take a little yeah. nap here with my eyes yeah, open. Yeah, I, I do the same thing. But but that's – I mean it's interesting because – so one of the signs is, is if all of a sudden the surrounding, the environment is impacting your ability to engage – then you've got more than just outgoingness going on. I mean, you, you've, you've got something else going on. The introversion side's kicking in. Yeah, exactly. It's interesting. Give us another one. The other one is, and the second one is you find people both intriguing and exhausting. Yeah, so you like being around people. It's not that you're a recluse who hides away in your home all the time and very few people are like that. But you can only be around people for so long. You like meeting them, you like hearing about their life stories, you like hanging out with them, but you can only endure so much socializing before you need some downtime. Mm. So maybe after a busy weekend or a long day at work, you feel the need to disappear and recharge by being alone uh, or just with one other person, Uh, maybe a best friend, a trusted roommate, or your significant other. Mm. Yeah. Bing! Got that one. So yeah. you look at it, I mean, because it, it, it is, it's like every person is so different for you. And I mean, I know another sign is just simply that certain people or certain types of interaction 
are harder for you to even you know want to do, maybe to stomach. I mean, certain people with just higher pitched voice um, might wear me out more. I mean, I, it, that sounds rude, but it just it, it ends up it becoming it becomes more exhausting. Or other people that that need more from you. I mean, that I guess that's another clue that you might have a little introversion on board. Yeah, exactly. So you might have a few friends that you feel like you could hang out with for practically forever. I have an introverted friend who I feel energized after I'm hanging out with her. But then there's other people that just drain you after being around them. And like you said, it might be the sound of their voice. It might be their conversation style or whatever. But you leave the interaction feeling worse. So that's another sign that you might be an outgoing introvert or ambivert. Well, and people don't they if 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 you haven't gotten into this and studied about your own introversion or high sensitivity or extroversion or ambiversion, if you haven't studied it, you might start thinking you're crazy. Like you might even right. start thinking, "What is my deal?" An hour ago, I wanted to call these people, and now I can hardly wait to leave. Right. Yeah, I'm very much an outgoing introvert, and I didn't know about my introversion until a few years ago, and I did sort of think there was something wrong with me because I liked relationships. I liked being around people. I liked socializing, but only to a certain extent. And I started to feel guilty about my need to want to run away and be alone. And it'd just be days where I didn't want to go out. I didn't want to hang out with people. And I, I thought, you know, well, what's wrong with me? Why am I like that? So finding out that I'm an introvert really changed my life and made me feel a lot more comfortable about who I am. Oh, it really is. It's it's like a it's a learning and and to know it younger and younger. It's fun because with my own children, I'm able to help them figure this out earlier, and it, and it actually explains why they don't like certain things and why they like other things more. It's just more information, right, to navigate through life. Yeah, exactly. I think it's really important for children and teenagers to recognize what their temperament is, I think that would have been incredible for me if I would have known about my introversion at an earlier age. Oh, parents, we've got to learn this. We'll take a break. We're speaking with Jen Graneman from introvertdeer.com. Seriously, I've seen a lot of websites, and uh, this is a rich website full of uh, information, great articles and insights about introversion and high sensitivity. We will take a break and continue to uh, help you understand where you fit. Like, where are you? Not that you need to be categorized, but that you do need to understand yourself and why certain people bug you maybe and certain don't. Why you might be more outgoing and maybe why you're not. Stick with us. More coming up next right here on the Matt Townsend Show. back, folks, to the Matt Townsend Show. Are you an introvert, an extrovert, or a little bit of both? Called the ambivert. Joining us is Jen Graneman. She is the um, the uh, founder of introvertdeer.com, a wonderful website uh, for the introverted and the highly sensitive people. And again, you can go there and learn a lot because if you know somebody 
I mean, your spouse, if your spouse seems to be more introverted and you're frustrated by the simple fact that he never wants to go out to dinner or she always wants to go out to dinner, this might be a wonderful place to start understanding those differences. Um, Again, you don't need to understand the difference to uh, divide yourself. You might want to understand the differences to better unite and connect to each other. And we are honored to have her back. Jen Graneman, welcome back to the show. Hi. Thanks for being with us. I know it's hard as an introvert and a sensitive person to want to do this. (laughs) I understand. I have to admit, it is a little intimidating. I know, but you're good. You're handling it wonderfully. And um, again, you're in the hands of an introvert and a high sensitive. So we're all friends. I'm in good hands, son. You're in good hands. Talk to me about um, one of the other points that you make as a sign about introversion versus extroversion is simply the idea that you, um, you might you might actually notice that your energies go up and down. So I might feel recharged, and then that's when I go invite people to be a part of my life, and that's kind of where the outgoing extroversion comes in. And then they might wear me out, and so I need to pull away. So it's kind of constantly this movement of energy. Yeah, exactly. It's an ebb and flow. When I feel energized, like when I've had time to myself, then I'm reaching out to people. I'm calling up my friends and asking them if they want to go get dinner. Or maybe I will go to that party that I was invited to. But then there's other times where my life has been really busy and I haven't had enough time to myself. And the last thing I want to do is be around other people. Right. And then you just – and I guess that's the benefit. That's the neat thing I learned about some of this is you can you can always leave. The idea would be – because as an introvert, I might inherently not go. But it's probably good to still go to things that I can go to and then just leave when I need to. Just kind of – Yeah. but don't exclude myself and hide myself away. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think one good bit of advice for introverts is if you're feeling like the party or the happy hour or whatever the social event is, is going to even in some small way be meaningful to you, just go and then give yourself permission to leave whenever you want to. You don't have to stay all night. You can uh, leave when you're starting to feel tired. Right. And in fact, it's best to leave when you're just starting to feel the first um, bit of tired instead of waiting until you feel completely exhausted because it's a lot easier to recharge from just feeling a little bit tired than it is from feeling completely exhausted. Yeah, it's so true. And um, do you do you sense that... I mean, I guess we kind of live in a world, it seems like, more suited in a way for the extrovert. I mean, maybe especially in America where we – it's about, you know, you got to go sell. You got to go be – you got to be out there. You got to make noise. You got to be noticed. You got to be seen. Is 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 introversion um, – is it a disability or is it an, is is it just a neutral thing? You know, that's a great question, and people ask me that a lot. I don't think it's a disability at all. I think it's just a different way of interacting with the world. Extroverts have their way of interacting with the world, and introverts have their way, too. It's it's not bad. It's just different. Yeah. And again, we revere kind of the outgoing, except the outgoing is probably backed by a, a bunch of information, data, and knowledge of the introvert as well. We The world needs both sides of this, you know, of interaction in order to be healthy. 
Yeah, absolutely. Do do you um, do you notice too? I guess that it's in a relationship. It, it, do you want to marry an introvert, or would it be better to marry an extrovert that pulls you into the world? And but then that seems like that would constantly cause some friction. Yeah, that's a great question. I get asked that a lot too. It depends on what your preference is. There's no wrong answer. A lot of introverts find extroverts to be really exciting and they bring some enthusiasm and energy to their lives. And sometimes the extroverts can be the ones that go out into the world. They're the ones who are socializing and starting the conversations and sort of pulling the introverts along for the fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so so you, a lot of introverts really love having extroverted significant other, others or friends. And then there's introverts who say, no, I'd like someone who's more like me. So the advantage, obviously, of being with an introvert is you have someone who understands your need for alone time. But I think that kind of relationship can have some pitfalls, too, because one of you, um, or I should say both of you, have a tendency to want to stay home and not go out and socialize and not go out into the world. So... You know, you can kind of get into a little trouble there because you need someone sometimes to be the one who pushes you out the door. Yeah. Do you um, – we also have ambiverts, right, the people that are both kind of sides of the equation. I guess in the end, um, how how would you suggest people go about figuring out what they are? What's the best way to determine if you're an introvert, an ambivert, an extrovert and starting to just kind of maybe get uh, – Get, a, get informed and, and gain the knowledge they need? So if you're an ambivert, people often mistake you for an extrovert. I get that all the time. People ask me what I write about. I say introverts. And then, of course, their next question is, wait, are you an introvert? <laughs> and when I say yes, they're pretty shocked. They just don't quite believe it because I can put on an extroverted face and be social when I need to. So at the end of the day, I'd rather be hanging out at home, reading or watching Netflix than going to a party. Every day. So I, think that's the bottom, yeah. <laughs> I think that's the bottom line for ambiverts. Do people confuse you for an extrovert, but do you really like to have your time to yourself? Introverts, you are someone who likes to recharge alone. You're drained by socializing. Extroverts, you enjoy getting out of the house, you enjoy socializing, and in fact, you feel really good when you're with other people. Totally. Man, we got to figure it out. And I think don't, in the yeah. end, just learn, right? Just learn. Just yeah, figure absolutely. it out. There's no... Yeah, I think... And it's not... I mean, I mean, I say it's not permanent, but it's... You, 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 there's, it's not just black or white. There's this spectrum that you were talking about, and you might find out that in certain situations you you actually become a little different than what you might normally feel like you are. Yeah, exactly. For a lot of introverts, they their personalities come out when they're comfortable around people. When they're just meeting people for the first time, they might be kind of quiet and shy and they don't want to let their true self out. That's certainly the way that I am. Mm. But then once they get to know someone, they feel comfortable with them and this whole... Um, incredible inner world of theirs comes out. Yeah. And then boom, you can be you. Yeah, exactly. Powerful. Appreciate it. Jen Granham and keep up the great work there. The website Introvert Deer, um, powerful uh, tool for introverts and high sensitives and anybody that might know somebody 
that's more introverted or a highly sensitive person. Thanks again, Jen. Keep up the great work. We'll take a break, come back, visit our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation, find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Be right back. Welcome back. So true, Kelly. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Mm-hmm. Which is why we are going to the strongest duo ever. Spencer Linton, Brian Logan, filling in for Jerem Jordan at uh, BYU Sports Nation. Hello, gentlemen. Matthew, it has been way too long since we have heard Kelly Clarkson on this program. And secondly, since Brian Logan has been in studio. Please. I know, Brian. Hey. Hello. Where have you been all my life? Oh, I don't know. We've missed you. It, you know what? I've missed you. I've missed your prayers. Brian's been making you. that money, man. I've missed you more. Have you, been, have you been making the money? Oh, no, no. Zero money. I've, I've oh. made, I haven't made anything. Well, I've just, you know, I've just been working, <laughs> working, 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 like working for free. Yeah. It's funny you say that. I, I kind of joke around. So I've been working like a free slave, you know. Oh, uh, yeah. don't of, say that. Of, <laughs> <laughs> don't just, go that there. Just, that just shows how hard, it is, you know. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I finally have some time to uh, come back to my true passion, which mm-hmm. is being with Spencer and Jerem. <laughs> no, hold on. Let me get this straight. Is your true passion Spencer and Jerem, or is your true passion sports? Uh, Spencer and Jerem. Okay, good. It used to be, it used to be sports. Yeah, it used to be sports. But sports now is you, like number three. Yeah, now. now you've got a baby. Oh, I, I don't even count that. Oh, yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, 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 <laughs> so yeah. what's number two? Um, number two, I would probably have to say... Automobiles? No, <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't. Maybe number two is number one. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, that was a good one. That was deep. Yeah. Don't even know what it means. What? Hey, here's one for you guys. Today is a very special day. It's the. Um, I'm just going to give you a. I'm going to play a song, and you have to guess the day. It's- Epa! Hola! Andale! Andale! Como estoy? Como estoy? How I am? <laughs> no say. Oh, Como man. estoy? <laughs> That's great. Cinco de Mayo, boys. Uh, what are you doing for the big Cinco de Mayo celebration? Oh, Brian's got his mariachi hat. Ready Does to he? Epa. This is anything special. You're not? Is it like, should it be a national requirement for all Americans to eat Mexican food? Yes. Yes. Taco Bell doesn't count. (laughs) No, no, no. You don't know. You you need to go to a, uh, like a taco vendor or somebody that. Like a taco truck. Like a taco truck. Taco truck. That's that's the best Mm. place to get tacos or. Yeah. Yeah. Or. An establishment truly run by los Mexicanos, because yes. they know how to. We just, I just took my kids to breakfast. I won't name a name, but it rhymes. It rhymes with Palberto, <laughs> and um, it was. It's so good, and we just enjoyed major mega breakfast burritos that were from heaven. From 
from a restaurant that na- that rhymes with Palberto. Palberto. <laughs> <Pal-Bear-toe. laughs> I don't, don't want to give names away, but that's how we roll. Hey, oh guys, I've got to tell you something because I need your I, I need your feeling on this. Okay. You know KFC, the the chicken people. They make chicken. The kernel, yeah. Finger they don't, they don't make chicken. The eggs make the chicken. Here's how this works. KFC is taking on a whole new finger-licking good. Uh, you know, they're taking it to the next level. The chain has now announced a new marketing campaign in Hong Kong where they have a form of edible nail polish what? so that you can lick your fingers and they taste like that fried chicken taste. Oh. What? Yeah. Uh the nails, and so ever since we've been doing it, we've got some up here, and um, Ben here has done nothing but just been licking his nails <laughs> and, and sucking them. Um, the nail polish comes in two different colors. That's what? the most disgusting sound effect <laughs> ever. <laughs> you know the sad thing, guys? It's not even a sound effect. <laughs> He's just got that much fluid in his mouth. Blah! <laughs> it's horrible. Orange. So you can get the original fried chicken, or you can get the hot and spicy stuff. Oh, you know what? That would be good, actually, to get the hot and spicy for my son because <laughs> we're trying to teach him how to uh, – or, or not to put his fingers in his mouth. Yeah, right. So that that's would it. be perfect. Yeah, you don't want to get the other one or that's all he'll do is keep his hand in his mouth. Yeah, my four-month-year-old, yeah, he's uh, to the point now where he just stares at me when I have food <laughs> or anything. Yeah. Really, Dad? Yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. Like you're and, doing and, this and to me, Dad? He's so funny. It's scary, actually, because he tries so hard to, like, move and to, to get to me. When he's like laying on his back, that sometimes he doesn't breathe. And I'm Ooh, like, oh, you no, got to watch that. Yeah, so I, can, I can't eat in front of him. It's just kind of weird and awkward. <laughs> you shouldn't eat in front of your kid anyway, Brian. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that is man. so rude. Do you think it's a good idea that they they have nail polish that you can that tastes like chicken? I mean, it seems no. that seems like it's just going to create you're going to pass more bacteria. It's, and it's stuff. a bit extreme. Yeah. Every time bored. I think about Colonel Sanders, by the way, I think about. The movie The Waterboy. Water yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. With the professor. Sure. Mm-hmm. When it, Mama said that. <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember the specific line of what's being discussed, but <laughs> Colonel Sanders, the guy's, well, your mama's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and then the Waterboy goes, no, Colonel Sanders, <laughs> you're wrong. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Leave it up to you guys. <laughs> Some real life Colonel Sanders. That's some serious Colonel Sanders you got going on there. Hey, are you guys still doing your show today? We are doing our show. Now, let me ask. Let me ask. Is it going to be bigger than ever? It is. It's well. First of all, Brian Logan is back. So yeah, yeah. for sure. Hello. Duh. uh, Yeah, our trending topic today is compelling and rich. (laughs) (laughs) Literally, it is. I, I, I will say those words on the show. That's compelling and rich. Okay. So the Big 12 talk, I mean, has some people nauseated. It has other people really excited. We've seen the full scale of emotions from BYU fans over the past week. Like, no, please, not again. Don't get our hopes up to <laughs> maybe this will be the time. Ooh, so you're telling me there's a chance. Okay. Yeah. So we've seen that wide range of emotion. But we are asking today, what is the most compelling storyline of the BYU football offseason? Because – in the moment, it's hard not to say, well, it's the Big 12 conversation because BYU is involved to a degree. But brand new coaching staff, the Heisman Trophy winner is back to run the offense. Oh, and there's this epic quarterback battle brewing mm. between Taysom Hill and Tanner Mangum and throwing the fact that BYU has the toughest schedule ever in, in program history. Yeah, yeah. 
So does the Big 12 top all those when you pull out and you look, you bring out the wide-angle lens and you're looking at everything? Is that the most compelling storyline of the Oscars? Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Very mm-hmm. interesting. That's a great question, and I'm sure you'll answer it thoroughly. We are going to discuss. Brian's going to drop some beats and Ooh, drop man. some opinions. That's actually where I've been this whole like five months. I was working on my rap album. <laughs> Were you really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, hey, gonna, hey, Brian, see, what's your album called? What's the title? What's it called? Well, um, I was kind of sad because Beyonce had lemonade. Mine was uh, <laughs> strawberry, limeade, strawberries. So, yeah. darn it, mm-hmm. that was. So I, and then, and then, so that got delayed a little bit. Yeah, she sure. dropped her album, and then I was like, "Well, okay, I'll, I'll I'll show her what's up." You know, competition's always good. And then Drake dropped his album. So yeah, I was like yeah, I probably should just stop. And oh, that, boy. that's why I'm back here because that was going to be my second. Yeah, career. sure, sure. But, who's you know. who's producing? Is Jay Z producing or? Oh, it's Jerem. Oh wow, it's Jerem Jordan. Mm-hmm. Oh, Jerem. Jerem, the you mean the the notorious um, dual threat? He does the, sports and yeah. he does music, and he does rap producing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who, by the way, he's going to join us from Pennsylvania, where he is headed to watch BYU compete in the national semifinals of men's volleyball tonight <gasps> in State College. Oh, awesome! Okay, you guys, that's a great show, Doing and and again. Brian Logan will be laying down some beats. Yes, Brian Logan. Yep. Tooney Canucci, BYU mm-hmm. football, also on the program. It's loaded. What a great show. Once again, you did it again. And <sighs> finger licking good. <laughs> right? Corny Sanders, you're wrong. <laughs> Waterboy, done by Spencer Linton. Coach Klein said I could. That was a good one. Right that there. was really good. Okay, yeah. guys, have a great show. And happy Cinco de Mayo. Thank you. Hasta la vista, chicos. Como estoy. Que le vaya bien. How am I? (laughs) See you, kids. Have a great one. They've got to work on their Spanish. Man, I did not know. How great is that? Brian Logan. He's got a new rap album produced by Jerem, the white guy from Utah. That's a good album. That is a good album, my friends. Hey, um, as you know, we like to uh, always, you know, know, coach the con, we call it. Coaching the con is... How we give back to uh, the rest of the the world. Here's how it works. A California man late uh, for his court date just had a whole bunch of other charges added to his rap sheet. The sheriff's office says a man sped by two deputies in front of the North Lake Tahoe Sheriff's Station. Deputies say the man um, parked in the wrong parking lot, taking up two spaces, and then he ran into the courthouse. He was soon identified as 47-year-old Grass Valley resident Thomas Edward Weed. Yes, his name is Thomas Edward Weed, living, by the way, in Grass Valley. Weed was driving on a suspended license and was on probation. Deputies confronted Weed once he was done inside the courthouse. Weed at first denied that he drove to the court, but reportedly backed down once the deputies saw they, or said that they saw him drive up. Weed's car was then searched, and you will not believe what the officers found in Mr. Weed's car in Grass Valley. Craziest thing. A stash of marijuana. Man, weed is smoked. Yeah, it is. And (laughs) whatever. Uh, But they found marijuana in his car. Ready to be sold. And they found it, discovered it, along with scales and other drug paraphernalia. Weed was arrested, and now Grass Valley is weedless. A little 
coaching moment for you. Also, uh, we always like to do a hero story. And the hero today, you may have heard the story about the Navy SEAL that died recently. Um, what, a, what an incredible person. Um, Special Warfare Operator First Class Char- Charlie Keating was killed in Iraq Tuesday by ISIS gunfire. And he really is an amazing human being. They, um, he was actually killed trying to help other people. He, he, I mean, he, heroism really is the epitome of Chuck, they said. And he was a Navy SEAL out on a special reconnaissance mission reading um, and, and doing what he could to, to take care of uh, the people and even us back here um, in the United States. He's from Arizona and was killed. He apparently... Um, Here's a story said, I don't think I've ever seen Chuck afraid of anything. And that's a pretty big compliment, especially considering the circumstances that we get thrust into. Keating deployed twice to Iraq, once to Afghanistan, assignments for which he received a Bronze Star Medal and the Combat uh, V um, and the Combat Action Ribbon, according to the Navy. And as an operator, he was relentless. When all my buddies came back from their deployment in 2012, I heard a lot of stories about Chuck's heroism and how he constantly stuck his neck out in the line of fire to protect his teammates. According to reports, he was putting himself in harm's way until the very end. So our hero of the day is uh, First Class Charlie Keating, uh, Special Warfare Operator First Class, Navy SEAL. Folks, that's the show. Until tomorrow, take care of each other, watch each other's backs, and be the hero you need to be in your life. Till then, take care. We'll talk tomorrow.